Good day. Oh, hey, uh, and good day. Welcome to another Forgelight Chat. It's a uh, podcast about blacksmithing, bladesmithing, and everything in between with a heavy focus on talent in the great white north. We're talking about Canada, eh? And this week in the Forge, we've got Jesse Thompson of Norquist Designs. He's from Kelowna, British Columbia, and he makes chef knives and utensils. And he likes to integrate interesting materials like titanium into his work. And just from looking at his work, he has a unique style. And it's a style that stands out and that I really like. So I'm quite stoked that Jesse's here tonight. We were talking before the show. He he, he knows D&D and computers and kind of like <laughs> nerdy stuff that I really like. So I'm interested to see where, where this goes tonight. Lyndon, how was your week? Uh, it was pretty good. You know, Did you hit your head? Did you hit your head? You know, okay, so I won't lie. This, yep. Oh, what you drinking? I'm drinking beer, man. Cool. It's, uh, whatever. Original That's 16? Copper. Original 16. Nice. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm not drinking beer tonight. I'm taking a little bit of break because I have been feeling like crap this week, man. I don't know what's going on. My stomach is off. I like went out for fish last week at some point, and I don't <laughs> think it was cooked enough. And like honestly, ever since that day, I've just been like off. And then... I thought I was feeling better. On, well, you came over Friday yeah. and we had a couple drinks together and I was I was feeling off. I didn't tell you I was feeling off. I don't know if you noticed, but I was still feeling off at that point. Not as bad. So we had a couple drinks. Saturday, I woke up and I was like, oh, well, I'm doing okay. And I kind of didn't try to do my normal thing Saturday night. I had some drinks Saturday night. I think that's when I smashed my head. I don't even remember when it was, man. Like it was, it's, it's just brutal that I'm at this point now where I'm just like, I don't remember when I did it or how I did it. Well, I know how I did it when, when and where, but exact timeline with was Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, somewhere in there, but I had to lay down and go for a nap after it happened. And I've just had this brutal headache ever since rocked myself like right bad, dude. Damn. What did we work on when you were here on Friday? I don't don't remember. Yeah, we <sighs> quenched three hammers. We kind of spread the cheeks on the one of them, and we worked on a fire poker as well. Mm, it was fun. Spread. It was a good time. And you told me stories. Oh, my God. So many funny stories. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell the story about the two Dans on the podcast, but I, I hope oh. one day you tell the story about Emo Dan and Heroin yeah. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And heroin Dunn's girlfriend. And heroin. Yeah. 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 And a and a rented van. <laughs> Crazy. Oh God. Yeah, that was quite this yeah. Okay. So anyways, how about you, dude? What, uh, what you been up to this week? I f- submitted my blacksmith challenge weather vane on the uh, that Facebook page. There was a few submissions, a uh, very few, but I took the win. Yay. I never win anything. Well, did you actually win anything for that other than just the yeah, title? Or? I got to uh, to choose the next challenge, right? So that's what I won. So I had but to organize. No, <laughs> no prize pack involved. No, no prize pack or anything uh, like that. That'd be so, pretty cool if they did that. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm almost done at this point. I ended up painting it today, at the end of the day in the shop there, and. Uh, just been putting, not putting around. I've been trying to get this thing done and doing some paperwork in the house and organizing and 
black blacksmith guild stuff and i feel like i'm not really moving forward too quickly i'm looking forward to uh to working on some knives and i've got the uh the dagger build challenge on youtube there there's a bunch of makers that are are making that and it's due on the 15th and now i'm like really pressed for time so i'll be starting that real soon who's doing um, that challenge there's there's a bunch of makers that are doing it like brian cohen's doing it um but who's putting it on housework or who is the like the organizer yeah, organizer yeah. um uh it's slipping my mind right now I'll, I'll think of it and and mention it later in the show that's not the gen, gen gentry or one or whatever is it no 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 that's a different guy that's a okay. different different project this is like a dagger build so cool yeah yeah i need to i need to start filming mm. quick <laughs> quick 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 maybe tomorrow morning i'll start well you have to do I'm, like a youtube video for it or something or what yeah yeah Those but i'm set up for requirements? that yeah exactly uh requirement is using a pin a special pin that you had to order from a shop in the states i don't have the pin yet so that's not the reason why i haven't started but it's uh i could use it as an excuse i'm just waiting for that pin man <laughs> um, like, a, like a handle pin yeah yeah like pin stock to uh for the handle hmm. but i on the wall beside me i do have a dagger that i made in two hours that was a two-hour dagger build challenge and that was that was a rush i had a great time making it and that was like from scratch making it from just raw steel raw wood heat treated tempered the whole the whole deal two hours and I managed to pull that off. So I figure, <laughs> worst comes to worst, I do same kind of thing. I just like bust out a dagger as humanly quick as possible and call it done. But I don't know. I don't know if I want to go that route. Yeah, it could be an interesting YouTube, just like me running around the shop like a like a nut. But at least I would get it done quickly. And like not a get good back idea to, to like doing work. It's not a good idea to run with knives. No, but working <laughs> quickly. Um, and, and it's interesting. I, I wanted to bring this up last podcast. Um, I'd picked up a book It's called. Uh, so the book is Next Level Knife Making. And okay. within the beginning, the introduction, the first couple of chapters, it talks about participating in challenges and learning right so when you're giving yourself a challenge and participating in a challenge you're kind of committing to creating something either of a higher quality or of some goal that you're giving yourself or as a community you're giving uh to others as well so i like participating in these because I, I do feel that when i participate in these i end up trying something new that i haven't tried before and in doing so, it pushes me to learn a, a different technique or a shortcut to get to something that I want to accomplish or or whatever. So I, I really like participating in those things. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I get that, man. Mm -hmm. I can see it. Mm -hmm. Well, 
but who do we got on uh, the the show this week, man? Who, who's what's the topic this week, bro? Jesse Thompson? Oh my gosh! So I've been following up? Jesse for oh years now. I don't know when That's he fun. started making knives, but uh, when when did you start making knives, Jesse? Uh, you know, I started making knives my last semester of uh, university. I have a fine arts degree. Um, oh no way! So I. Uh, Studied at Halif- in Halifax at uh, the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. And I uh, kind of went there wanting to go into product design. Um, but once I got there, it was uh, it was clear that the program was more graphic design, although that although they claimed it was an interdisciplinary pro- disciplinary program. Right. So I ended up switching into the um, basically gold and silversmithing program. So like art jewelry, oh. uh, largely because it was actually more attuned to product design, right? You're making a physical thing that humans interact with in some way either to wear or use, um, you know, in, the, in, in terms of like hollowware and that type of stuff. So I switched over to that. And uh, my last semester, I had an open studio. And I was like, well, I should try something different. And, you know, the, the whole time I'm doing that program, thinking like, okay, I have this fine arts degree, who the hell hires this? And uh, I'm going to need to you know, do my own thing, you know, have my mm-hmm. own business. And, you know, th- that's always been an, uh, an interest of mine, entrepreneurship and, and whatnot. So I was like, well, you know, what, what can I do with this, these skills that I have that could potentially become a business? And um, I had just discovered John Grimsmo. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's in Ontario there and he, uh, he has a quite a fairly large business now uh, making folding knives, um, like EDC type style blades. Nice. And um, so I discovered him and he had just spent $150,000 on this vertical machining center and had moved it to a new shop and, uh, you know, was, you know, making, starting to make some money. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe knives, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe knives or something I could take these skills and, uh, and start working on. So I, uh, so I did, I went into, you know, my open studio, I built a two by 72 grinder in my apartment. <laughs> oh, no way. Um, yeah. In my, in my den, actually kind of over the winter break, I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make knives. And, uh, <laughs> no, so I no have complaints little, from the neighbors, <laughs> you know, surprisingly not. Um, okay, okay. Wait, wait, wait. So you built the two by 72 in your apartment? In my apartment. Yeah. I built uh, like all, all, with a welder and stuff. No. Oh, no, 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 no. I couldn't weld in there. Um, okay. So I bought aluminum extrusions, uh, some some tube and uh, some solid bar. Actually, that eighty twenty uh, material, you know, with the T slots and whatnot in it. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, and I, I put that together over the winter break, just a you know a two horsepower single phase motor uh, to drive it. Um, you know, some Princess Auto casters for wheels, and uh, yeah, and I, I started baking knives. Uh, I couldn't. I wanted to bring the grinder to the studio at school, but they wouldn't let me. So I had to, I had to grind all my blades in my apartment, um, and then do all my handle work and and finishing and stuff, heat treating and whatnot in the in the jewelry studio. Um, yeah, I had my little tag lathe in the kitchen, and uh, you know it was a little machine shop in my apartment. But um, <laughs> that's awesome. And yeah, okay, this is in British Columbia at this point, right? No, sorry, this no, is that's in out east. This is okay. Oh, yeah, so this I'm... makes more sense to me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I uh, 
I made knives for a whole semester and I was a nine credit studio. Um, I was supposed to make like nine things and I ended up making, I think, 20 odd knives. Um, oh, wow. You know, a few, a few folding blades that, you know, of course, none of these are any good, um, you know, folding blades. Uh, and then I, uh, I kind of felt the limitation with the folding blades um, in terms of, you know, what I could do with design. Right. Mm. Um, partly was my skill at the time, you know, for sure. Um, and my access to materials and tools. Um, but I felt that like uh, chef's knives, that type of stuff kind of gave you a little bit more freedom with with handle and 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 the particularly the junction of handle to the blade. Um, so I started working with that. And that's kind of what I finished my my studio with was a collection of uh, chef's knives I had made. Um, nice. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. And as far as design goes, do, do those original designs still have an influence on your designs that you have now? Uh, I mean, elements, but really, no. You know, honestly, none of them were any good. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, it, it's 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 like anyone. You know, your first hundred things are going to be no good, and hmm. um, they're just all learning knives. You know, l- learning pieces, practice pieces. Um, so yeah and so yeah there's definitely elements i learned a, you know you learn a ton just by doing right um, right right so yeah definitely elements i've brought forward into my current work but you know from the you know not really though yeah okay mm-hmm. and it was a uh, jewelry mm-hmm. that you said you were like yeah. part of the, that curriculum and did how did that influence your that was I, that was going to be my question. Okay, I wanted oh, to know. Take off, take the, off. Yeah, you take off. Your whole head. Okay, so the gold and the silver smithing. Mm-hmm. Can you incorporate that into your knives nowadays? Or that was uh, my that was my question. Okay. okay yeah, you can have it. <laughs> you know, largely what I've taken forward from from that is, you know, you're working when you're working with with gold and silver and and gemstones it's all very small detailed work right yeah. so that is largely what i've taken forward into the knife making is that attention to detail and recognizing you know what matters and what doesn't you know mm, right. um so yeah in terms of i mean i have i have added some gold to a knife before um but uh, but largely no. I mean, it definitely a lot of the a lot of the knowledge I, I, I learned there. I, I, I use every day. You know, just layout work. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Fordham flex shaft work, that type of stuff. Um, but it's really the you know the the design knowledge and the working on a small scale knowledge that I take uh, into my current work. Okay, I think that's a new nickname for you, Lyndon, Fordham. You got a flex shaft. Well, I was going to say, wait, did you just say your forearm and how you flex your shaft? (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) Jesus, take off your hoser. Hey, so I want to give a shout out to all of our uh, listeners out on the East Coast, eh? I hope you're having a great day (laughs) and and enjoying your fish and your smokes, eh? (laughs) Oh, nice guy. Just random shout out for East Coast you sound for, like the, you're for the Maritimes, eh? No, I'm, I'm, I'm. I've been out there, but I'm Speaking definitely not of the from Maritimes, out there. Did you see the new products that our sponsor Lawrence Lake of Maritime Night Supply has in his shop now? He's just stocking up left, right, and center. That guy, man, I can't believe it, dude. Every time yeah. I look, he's adding something else. Yes. What's, what is it? So this time? I, I think we teased it last week, right? 
with the, oh. uh, all the micarta or g10 dude stacks. he posted pictures or video today of like his layout in the shop of not just the tubing and the pins but like of the multitude of colors that he now has in his shop i i messaged him i said i want one of each <laughs> kind of serious i want one of each man like I just went down the rabbit hole of, of using that stuff for the first time just a couple months ago. And like uh, colors are so limited in Canada. I'd have to order from the States, but now that it's, it's here, it's here. I want to get my hands on some. So. And if you're from the States, you can order from Maritime Knife Supply too, because they're shipping to the States is apparently just spot on and the transfer or the rate of exchange. It's well worth it. Hit up, uh, hit up maritimeknifesupply.ca. And while you're at it, look at their uh, even heat and Paragon Kilns because, man, you can save you uh, 100 bucks if you pop in the code. FSC Kiln, put that in the product code or the coupon code and save yourself 100 bucks. 100 bucks. Who doesn't That's want a lot to of save money. money? That is. Yep. You can do a lot of things with 100 bucks. Buy more grinding belts while you're there. Or a bunch of this beautiful new McCart or G10. You got it. So, Jesse, um, have you mostly done stock removal then? You were obviously, or did you have an anvil in your apartment too? No, no, no. Actually, I did. You know, a little guy, one of those 10 pound ones. Okay. Uh, Jeweler's anvil. Yeah, Jeweler's anvil. But uh, no, you know, I've never forged a knife. Oh, no way. I've made a nail. You know, we had to do kind of an intro to shop class uh, as part of our, you know, uh, they call it a foundation year. And so I had to make a nail on the anvil and a natural okay. gas forge. But no, that's the only forging I've done. I've, I've done forging of brass and copper and silver and that type of stuff. Uh, so, you know, cold forging. Right. Um, but no, that, that's the extent of it. I've always done, uh, always done stock removal. Um, nice, nice. I, so if you're doing stock removal, then have you been experimenting with different types of steel with that process or do you like to stick to a couple yeah you know when i first started out i was buying like everyone else kind of one ground stock from the local supplier okay um you know i think that's kind of ubiquitous and in, in, in easy to get material right locally um so that was what i was using and then i went to um you know it, it's interesting you mentioned maritime knife supply there's so many new knife shops around yeah. when i first started out there was knifemaker.ca and that was it and yeah. unless you wanted to order from the states and um so anyway so you know you order your uh, 1095 1084 stuff from them and i used 1084 for a long long time mm-hmm. um primarily now i use 52100 uh okay. i've got some magna cut in the shop i'm working on 10 custom knives with magna cut oh wow sweet and, and i got a sheet of cp what did i just buy uh cpm 154 i bought a whole sheet of that just recently Solid. and um and a- aebl yeah 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 so those are kind of my my go-to's right now okay but you, ever, uh, you ever pick up any damascus from anybody for your blades or yeah you know the damascus i use for my blades now comes from uh alabama damascus steel Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and and it it's 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 a good quality. You know, I I get it, and it, the patterns are nice, and uh, you know, there's no voids or anything. I'd love to find a Canadian supplier. Uh, quite frankly, if you guys know anyone um, who who does that, uh, Steve uh, Depro has been pumping out billets for people. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you'll mm-hmm. have to give me his contact information because uh, it'd be nice to find a, a kind of, you know more local source, a Canadian source. Yeah, it's kind of more on brand. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say I know somebody that's in your neck of the woods necessarily that would be doing that, but uh, oh, that's okay. I mean, I consider Canada local, right? Where there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Is uh, what's Lawrence's plans with that? I know he was playing around with Damascus. Is he planning to start oh, selling it or? I don't know. I can't imagine balancing running the shop, running so his, his full-time Just work as well, and mind-blowing. trying to pump out some Damascus. But hey, <laughs> who knows? Know how he does it. <laughs> who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Do you got, uh, is there plans in the future for you to start going into forging at all then? or uh, You know, I, I thought about it. Um, but, you know, I've... When I started this business, I, I guess maybe maybe not. I think most people get into knife making as a hobby first, mm-hmm. you know, where I can honestly say I got into it either not knowing for sure because nothing is for sure, but knowing I wanted to make a business out of it, knowing that I wanted to earn my income from it. Right. Um, and, you know, like I was talking about John Grimsmo and, you know, his that was actually a big influence on me, you know, because he does his knives are made almost 100 percent by CNC machining. Right. Um, so that was a huge kind of driver. I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. You can buy this machine and it can can cut parts for you. And, and you know, that that's a really that's a really cool thing. Yeah. So, you know, in, in kind of working on knives, I obviously when I first started, I was doing a very traditionally stock removal, grinding, that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, as I learned more about it and the process of it involved i i knew i wanted to kind of change things up and do it in a more non-traditional way um and so that's kind of how i built my business is very much on the process of making knives uh mm-hmm. if that makes sense so it's not i don't just make knives but i have a process i use to make knives and that's that's been kind of the driving force behind everything right. i do if it doesn't fit into the process or it doesn't have a process that works then i won't do it <laughs> Right, right. Well, it makes sense if you're running a business, like I'm thinking of, like I used to work for Lund Boats Mm -hmm. and there's a whole process from like from the prototyping and then the processing into the development and all the steps up the line. And if there's like the one off boat, it makes no sense. Totally. You can't have a custom boat unless you're paying huge <laughs> bucks and then you're going to a custom shop to, to get sure. that done. <laughs> but you're trying to have a line of knives. That exactly. Can... So, you know, and, and I mean, maybe forging does work into that. I, I was, you know, I kind of had the blinders on, honestly, so to speak. I was like, no, this is what I want to do. I love CNC machines. I love yeah. machining. I love the, this whole process. And I want to try to meld the two together somehow and, and, uh, and make it work. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of guys that do production forge work, right? Uh, I mean, that's how knives have been made for centuries. It obviously right. works. So, uh, yeah, no, but no, long story short, I would love to, like, I love integral knives. You know, I, I'd mm-hmm. love to get an S grind on an integral somehow. Um, but, uh, for, for the moment, I just don't have time to learn a new skill Yeah, <laughs> or learn yeah. that particular skill. You know, I'm always learning, of course, but. Cool. So talking about S grinds. Um, mm-hmm. maybe some of our listeners are unaware of what an S grind is. Do you want to share some insight on what that is? Yeah, for and sure. And how it's done? How it's done, yeah. So 
um, you know, S-grind is basically, if you imagine what a regular knife looks like, it's a triangle, you know, with two flat edges. And S-grind basically puts a hollow into that triangle on either side. Um, never been asked to describe it, like, without visuals before. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So if you, if you were to reach up to the middle of the triangle and kind of pinch the middle exactly. of the triangle on either really side. That's a way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, and what this does is, you know, when you're cutting potatoes or cucumbers, anything that wants to stick to your blade and kind of fly off the top, uh, it just causes it to fall off, you know, more or okay. less. It, it's, it, it helps improve food release, yeah. uh, which, you know, isn't so important with maybe a, a lot of fixed blades, but with, with chef's knives, you know, a lot of them really appreciate it, right? You know, mm-hmm. you don't end up double chopping your food or, you know, if you're trying to do a nice presentation. Right. Um, yeah. But S grind on a chef knife is scary as heck because you're already going super thin on a chef knife and now you're taking that yeah. center portion thin, thinner than where like you're closer than, than the cutting edge, right? You're thinner up in the middle totally. portion. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I machine my, my hollows to the, so that that center point, that point you pinch, which you just described, Linda, um, it's about 0.75 to 0.8 millimeters. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so quite quite thin. I I know there's a there's a few guys that I don't know dimensions because not really people not many people share that, but um, that appear to go thinner than that. I don't know how they do it without going through the blade because right. let me tell you that's pretty thin. <laughs> yeah, and are you doing this manually, like right on the grinder on a on a big wheel or like yeah? A, so uh, no, my my S grind is milled on the machine okay. on a milling machine. Uh, it just gives me more consistency. You yeah, know, everyone's yeah. everyone's the same. It, it, my process is kind of a, a wabi-sabi process. You know, I, I, <laughs> I use the milling machine to cut the hollow, and then everything else is hand ground in. So the mm-hmm. what I call the bevel or that that, that the bevel below the hollow, um, yeah. that's all hand ground in. The taper's all hand ground in. The profile's all hand ground in. Um, but you know, it, once you have that hollow machined in on both sides, it's a really great starting point. To, yeah. to grind everything else you know i know that's what a lot of people that's what i struggled with starting out is like how to center your bevels yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that's it's, it's an automatic centering tool right totally yeah. yeah and so when you're using this uh mill to mill out that bevel mm-hmm. what what kind of bit is it that's milling that out or how does it how does the machine do that exactly um yeah if it, i use um basically a face mill to cut it um you know and if you can imagine a face bill and you you tip it on its side you're yeah okay so um so do you tip you tip the head on its side a little bit mm -hmm. and then you travel the bed along that Mm -hmm. Uh brilliant how big of a do you mind (laughs) it's like kind of Uh, digging at secrets okay yeah let's just leave it at that you know i I, i'm a a big believer in discovering things for your own and, and finding your own niche in your own process in your own design style and uh so yeah let you know if someone wants to play with that let them go ahead oh, and you'll, figure, you'll figure it out more than enough already yeah i've i dug deep there on you <laughs> you know you, you could you could you could look back on my instagram post and you could figure out what i did you know oh, actually yeah. i got a i got a message from the uh, application engineer at kern uh, they're a machine company in germany they make million dollar machines and he's like hey yeah. really nice knives i know exactly how you made it i'm like yeah of course <laughs> you did you're a machinist you should i dabble a little bit with machining as well actually steve dupro was just over here last night yeah last night 
partially into why I think I feel like crap today, man, because he came over with a little <laughs> bit of something and we, he stayed over a little bit too late too. But yeah, we he bought Wasn't a new he anvil. over last Saturday too? Yeah, he stopped by last Saturday too. What did we do? You just stopped by for a quick visit. This time he actually like oh, okay. stopped by and like we Stayed were working together. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, because he, he bought an anvil and he needed to mill the top of it because he resurfaced the top of it with uh, studio rods. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, he wanted to try to mill that down to a flat surface. So we were playing around at the mill last night. Oh, cool. Big. How'd it go? Good, good. Yeah, nice, yeah, that, nice. Having that milling. What kind of milling? Oh, 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 Jesse, tell me about your tool. tool. <laughs> <coughs> tools, please, Jesse, I want to know about your tools. You're, uh, <laughs> you, you're sitting, you got a nice milling machine there. What do you? What I got a couple of mills, actually. Yeah, when I, uh, you know, when I first kind of decided I wanted to do this, I maxed my credit card on one of those little uh, Grizzly G0704s. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a little bed mill, about 300 pounds. Um, and then convert it to CNC. So, you know, replace the uh, Acme threads with lead, with ball screws and uh, stepper motors and that type of thing. Sweet. Um, you know, I made my first uh, 100 or so knives on that machine. And then uh, last June, yeah, last June, I, uh, I bought a much larger mill, uh, like a D-style mill. Uh, so about 3,000 pounds. Um, and just a lot, a, lot, a lot more rigid. And actually funny you bring this up i have a rep coming out next week to talk about another machine a replacement for that one already um mm. something uh you know a bit a bit better a bit more accurate uh, cnc control um that 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 type of stuff yeah crazy Beauty. so then are you making Kelowna your home now huh. <laughs> <laughs> big gulp well, big gulp of beer <laughs> you know uh Maybe you know, as as the business grows, it it does kind of seem that way. Um, we'll, we'll see, though. I mean, I moved back here after I was after I finished school. You know, my mom's here. Uh, you know, when you're starting a business, it always helps to have kind of a safe place to land. Yeah. And um, so I, I started the business here from another like a basement style shop, and then I finally moved into this shop that I'm in now. And you know, honestly, if if the real estate market wasn't like it is. I probably would have moved. I was think I was planning on moving. I went looking for a new shop, a, a real shop, you know, commercial shop, um, kind of j- January, February this year to try and uh, make things a little more proper. But there's just nothing out there, uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Um, so yeah, but you know, as you have more equipment, you're kind of tying yourself down to one place. But so I'm trying to buy things that can relatively easily be moved either i can move myself without too much too much trouble and rigging um you know because i could easily i mean as you guys probably know you could run up the price of just moving you know twice the machine right oh for sure so yeah so for now a three thousand pound mill is not easy to move like how how do you move that (laughs) well actually a buddy of my and i went to the coast to get it. it was on the island and uh, we drove down, we rent a U-Haul trailer and, and drove down to get it across the ferry and back. And one day it was like a 12 or 16 hour day by the time we were done. Oh, for sure. But yeah. uh, honestly, not so bad to move. Like we loaded it on with a crane, you know, like a high up crane. And then once we got it here, we just backed the trailer into my shop and uh, jacked up the front of it and pallet jacked it off. Oh, yeah. That's oh, wow. yeah. So it wasn't, yeah. wasn't so bad. 
Um, so I'd like to keep the next machine in that kind of in that kind of weight too. You know, once you get more than that, then you're right. It becomes much more difficult. You can no longer move it by by hand. You need proper riggers and real forklifts and that type of thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's it's a balance, right? Trying to get what you need to run the business and and make a quality product and and be efficient at it, um, but also not you know not make things too difficult in in the moving department because that's the reality of the situation where I am right now. Yeah. Where, where you're at right now, if there, is there something out there that you're, you're, you got your eyes set on something that you can bring into the shop that would, uh, this, this one's for Nick Tobin, my buddy, uh, token Tobin, something that would tickle your pickle. (laughs) Um, yeah, honestly, this, uh, this, this CNC mill I'm looking at right now, that would be, that's the next, that's the next thing, you know, I, uh, It'll just I because I can't move to a, a real shop. The reason I wanted to move to a real shop was so I could hire someone. Quite frankly, um, mm-hmm. you know, either part time or, or almost full time um, to help with well everything that goes into making a knife. And one of those things is turning the wheels on the machine, uh, the hand wheels on the machine to cut the blades, and um, that's not going to happen. So I need to you know find a way to be efficient without that person. And one of those ways is is getting a robot, so to speak. Yeah. That's for sure. That's why I need to get that space arm in the shop. Open my, be- open my beers for me. I love you. Good buddy. Yeah. Take goss. Yeah. Have you, you ever played around with those? Played around and with yeah, what? With like those a, arms. Have you seen them before? Like a robotic arm? No. Yeah. No. They're, they're really cool. They're so e- A lot of them are so easy to program too. I was thinking the other day because they're not that, that expensive. They're like, well, I mean, expense is relative, but they're like, you get them used for like 20 grand. And I was like, you could, you could totally program it to grind a knife on a grinder. Oh yeah. Like like without, (laughs) without any special equipment, like a two by 72 grinder, you could totally, you know, I'm using quotes here, train that robot arm to grind a knife. Yeah. Right. Program it. There's none at your work, Linda? Uh, well, we've got maybe some types of robots that, but yeah. not work not in my specific shop because so. i used to work at at bueller for like a month i worked midnights mm-hmm. there from midnight to 8 a.m and at, by the end of the month i was i had seniority i was top dog yeah it took that what long happens when you work with a bunch of crackheads <laughs> <laughs> why are you sleeping on the floor here man get up <laughs> Why am I in charge? <laughs> I'm fucking 16 years old and I'm in charge. What is this? Shit? I, was, I was 18, 19 at yeah. the job interview. Oh, I heard interesting stuff. The lady stuff was like, uh, so, okay, we've heard of your 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 forces or your, like, what you're good at. What, what are you not so good at? Like, <laughs> ah, it takes me a long time to learn. Okay, you're hired. <laughs> It took me about a month to figure out what the hell am I doing here? I got to get out. (laughs) Just like such a noob. It takes me a long time to learn things. It took me a month to learn that this place is effed up and I need out. But they had those robot arms and they would like, you put the steel into the the hand of the robot and it would spin it up to the welder. The welder would weld and then it would spin around. You'd unload the machine, put a new piece and like eight hours a, a night. It was pretty mind numbing. 
Yeah. For you, not the robot, though. Not the robot. The robot was, yeah, was having a great time. No, they're I love not, stuff like that. I love. They're that. not good when they're yeah. not when they stop working properly, though. Then it messes oh, shit imagine. up big time, man. You know when you're that machine's expected to be rolling twenty four seven, and then it's down for like five days. Oh man, the shit just piles up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that can be a mess. Just I've, wor- I've worked at places with big robots mm-hmm. before that were doing some super duty heavy welds, making military equipment. Man, got uh, no a place doing That's that cool. for a little while. Yeah. That was a fuck it. That was a fun job, man. Because like literally, they would just bring a bin of big, heavy, like everything was half inch plate or bigger, dude. And wow. you're, you're welding at you know 25, 25 volts, four or five hundred wire speed inch, and that and that thirty five wire. So it's it's heavy welds, man. Even some of the guys were doing mm-hmm. forty five going heavier, right? Forty five wire going heavier. But that wasn't that wasn't me. That was where I was. But yeah, man, that, was awesome. that was some cool shit. Yeah. Cool. Have you ever uh, worked outside of uh, knife making doing this kind of stuff? Or No, no. My, my day job used to be at uh, Lee Valley, actually. I coordinated the seminars there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but they do like uh, woodworking seminars, um, you know, classes, that type of stuff. So that was that was the day job before the knives. And then COVID hit and I got laid off from there and I was like, well, now's a good opportunity to really pour, pour my energy into this yeah. and, and see if I can't make something of it. Um, you know, and I, I developed a knife for a Kickstarter, actually a Kickstarter campaign. Oh, you did. Yeah. And I, uh, I did that. And I was like, if I can get myself enough, you know, enough of a runway, right. To really make yep. it go at it. And, uh, so I raised, uh, I pre-sold, not raised, I pre-sold 12 grand worth of knives on the Kickstarter. Excellent. I was like, all right, this gives me six months at my current wage. So let's see if we can figure this out. Yeah. And um, I didn't make money for like four months. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, then things finally clicked and they haven't slowed down. In fact, they've each month is getting bigger and bigger and busier and busier. So I'm quite thankful for that. Well, that's awesome, Indeed. dude. Yeah, so the stars aligned. That's I've you know one of the golden stories you hear of COVID. A lot of people got really mm-hmm. screwed over by COVID, but then there was people like yourself that managed to take advantage of the situation and look at where you're going with that, man. Hey, totally. You know, I I think you know there's this what's the saying? Uh, success is where preparedness and opportunity meet. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, you know, my girlfriend hates it, but I I really believe in that uh, philosophy. And, uh, you know, I think those kind of four or five years of, of work and, and preparation beforehand and mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, the stars aligned, right? And I was able to take advantage of that. Yeah. And stars don't align automatically either, right? No. Like how, how much time do you figure um, until you finally said, okay, I think I think it's clicking where the stars are yeah. finally starting to, to line up. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I, I took the COVID break and kind of felt like I needed to make that happen. You know, I was, I was already kind of burnt out of that job. I didn't make any money and, and yeah, you know, it just, it wasn't, a, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Right. Um, so I was like, well, I got some time now. I need to try and make something work. And, you know, it, 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 I don't make that style of knife anymore. You know, it was a it was a, a new design, something I tried and, and threw out there, and a f- number of people responded to it, and that was great. It, it gave me my start, yeah. um, you know, and, it, and I took that knowledge that I learned from that and making. I don't even remember how many knives I had to make, maybe 
35 knives, something like that, you know, and, and that kind of small production one is what led to my current style more or less, right? That was the first knife with my, with my machined S grind. Um, and, you know, and then from there I started doing the, I call it the insert on the handle, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, that accent piece on the handle. And yeah, then that's yeah. what, that's what really took off, you know, um, it's kind of uh, once you have your once you have a unique style, something no one's seen before, people respond respond really well to that. They're interested in it, right? Yeah, yeah, man. I'm I'm actually just looking at your Instagram photos right now because I'm like kind of like thinking to myself like I wanted to go over some of the designs that you do a little bit because mm-hmm. that's one of the things that really sticks out about you is your unique design, Thanks. and one of the things that I'm looking at that really, that's actually, I, you don't see this on knives ever. Like I don't see it anyways. I, I maybe I don't look at knives enough, but I don't know what, what are you calling this? Uh, is that an insert that's on the handle? It almost looks like there's like a little extra piece on the handle of some sort. What, what's that about? Yeah. Like the, like the metal piece, the piece that runs along the side where the tang would go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I call it my insert. Um, you know, and, it, and it's, it's a piece of either contrasting or, um, you know, sometimes not contrast, but interesting material that I add to the side of the handle um, just to it, – it, it kind of stemmed from the construction of the handle, right? A way that I can make hidden tank knives more efficiently than with a little – what do they call those those little rasps or uh, brooches you know brooches that you see a lot of people doing you know or the dowel construction method which i did for a long time you know, where you where you drill the hole and then slot a dowel and put it in there um you know so this 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 handle construction with the insert really stemmed from that dowel construction that i was doing previously and it's kind of traditional with a lot of japanese knives mm-hmm. um yeah just again i i was trying to design something that not only was functional from a process standpoint a making standpoint but also added something to the finished blade too from in a, in a, uh, as an aesthetic element so it serves real no purpose other than to look nice and look sweet ease, ease construction for me quite frankly interesting yeah and like okay so i'm looking right now you've got a video of just the handle by itself with the insert so how does how does that get the how does the knife go to that? Like I'm not is maybe what I'm looking at the piece of metal that's in the handle is that does that come out and that's where the mm-hmm. tang of the blade would go? Is that exactly. what I'm seeing? Yep, exactly. uh, okay, okay, okay. I see. Yep, Interesting. Exactly. Cool, man. And you're you got some uh, wood in here from Sharp Carpenter. We were just talking about him. Yeah, I heard you guys what, last episode. Hey? Yeah, really nice guy. Uh, first time trying out his wood, um, but uh, I really like it. You know, he's. Uh, he spent quite a bit of time, and that's not that's uh, quite o- quite okay with me because it's really good quality stuff. But um, yeah, quite a bit of time making making that uh, that wood, and it is really good stuff. He's a real technician about what he does. You know, he he has a lot of knowledge about the stabilization process. That's that's clear just from talking to him. And uh, his the pieces that he sent me, like the timbers, are really nice, a really nice figure in them. Uh, you know, no voids or anything like that. And yeah, no, I, I have nothing nothing. Good, nothing but good to say about that. Is is he near you or where is he? Uh, he's out of Ontario. I oh, think Ontario. I want to say Hamilton, Mississauga area. Yeah. And now I see just recently you just posted this. You're going to start playing with some mammoth molar, dude. I just is that did. your first time? Yeah, I just finished that blade actually. Um, first time playing with it. And 
a lot of people want it. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, nice. yeah. Um, oh, but uh, gorgeous, have, you, have, you, have, you guys, have you guys worked with it before? It's a real pain I, in the butt. That's what I'm interested to know about. Like, how do you even work with this stuff? Like, I can imagine you know, it's like a stone almost. It is. I wasn't sure. You know, it, it's an expensive material too. Like, if you're looking at the knife there, that handle block was about $300 once I got it here. Um, so... You know, and if you, you know, you look at that and you see all those striations kind of like end grain along the edge of the handle there, they want, it wants to crack along all of those striations. I can imagine. Yeah. And, uh, I broke it three times, oh. uh, building that handle no, no. and have put it back together. Um, you know, the, I talked to the customer about it obviously, and you know, we, he understands the limitations of the material and he's going to treat that knife. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I won't yeah. be making another one. Um, you know, definitely not on spec. You know, if you want a mammoth molar, we'll, we'll talk about it and make sure you understand you know, what the limitations of this material are and how you need to treat it and what you can expect from it. Um, yeah. But, you know, in terms of working, it does work like a stone uh, carbide tools, cut it really well. You know, I cut that dovetail with a, with a carbide dovetail cutter. Um, hmm. And I drilled the the tang slot with a carbide end mill, um, and it cut just fine. Like absolutely no issues. The grinding really sucked. You know, I used a thirty six grip belt and uh, just went really slow and, and dunked it a lot. But it is like grinding stone. You know, if you if you've ever done that, that's exactly what it's like. Almost like a soapstone, but harder. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course it's just super brittle. You know, and and I don't know why it cracked on me. If those were just natural um kind of cleave points for lack of a better term but mm-hmm. it just seemed like it was totally random where it cracked despite being stabilized um so mm-hmm. yeah not not super fun the shop really stinks my respirator stinks um but you know it looks really cool it's a great showpiece definitely where where does somebody get a chunk of <laughs> you know funny enough kind of a lot of it comes out of russia and this customer commissioned it just after, you know, all that's going on over there. And so I was he's like, well, I want mammoth molar. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go find some mammoth molar. And so, you know, I pop on eBay and there's a bunch of listings for really nice stuff, but it's all from Russia. So like, well, that's not coming here. Um, and I ended up getting it from a store in the States, uh, Maker Mart. You guys probably know Maker, Maker Mart. You've heard that's of it. Sure. Sounds like a... Yeah, there's a Facebook, a few Facebook pages too that it'll that pop up. It. There's like Mammoth Molar, whatever page, and okay, that's I'll all they do. Out. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, they didn't have a lot though. I got one of the last pieces they had. It's like they got a big batch in and we're and we're reselling it. Um, and so I got the got one of the last ones. It's quite a big. Well, I mean, it's big enough for a handle, obviously. That's um, a big piece, yeah. Yeah, it was a big piece, yeah. and it was all molar. Like it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't half resin or anything like that. Like the whole mm-hmm. thing is molar all the way through. A really nice piece. Like I have no complaints with the, the colorations of it. Great. and the color or the yeah, color. Gorgeous. Or anything. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't think it was the person who stabilized this fault or anything like that. I think that's just a limitation of the material, especially when I for talk sure. to people. They've had similar experiences with it as well. Yeah, no, it makes yeah. sense to me. Well, it's a naturally cracked material already, right? Yeah, it's literally cracked. a fossil, right? <laughs> so, you know, I think it. I think it earned a few cracks. Yeah. So I, they don't really have much choice, and it's stabilizing. It's the same process that they stabilize the wood, right? Or is there? I, a different... I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I I'd imagine. So. Yeah. 
Okay, so we're guessing. What else, how else could you do it other than tossing it in a vacuum chamber and? Yeah, I I know I, what like I know the black right. striations on that piece are softer. I think those ones might be more resinous. If okay. that makes sense, because they definitely, you know, when I was, you know, when you're polishing something, you can tell what's harder and what's softer. And right. so the black pieces were definitely softer. So, yeah, it, it really Not- interesting. Glad I did it. I know for next time uh, to charge more. And, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and um, you know, and, and that people know I didn't expect I guess I should have, but I didn't expect it to be that that brittle. Uh, working with it it's definitely not a user knife you know i, I just couldn't balance it like i wanted to either you know and right. so there's, there's a heavy. lot of it's super heavy yeah yeah there's there's no way to balance that knife properly but again it's okay it, it's what the customer wanted and he's, he's struggled with it it's a showpiece 100 percent. yeah yeah no. what yeah, do you 100%. do with a showpiece like that you just have it on a block or something like that in the no, kitchen I think, he's, or? I think he's gonna cut his steak with it Wow. Show off, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The boys Whoa. come over and you pull that, is, that sucker out and cut your steak or like barbecue. Put, yeah. yeah. Put it Oof. out on the the kitchen table and be scared to use it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like you, you think knife collectors, like that, that's what they do, especially for like the high end knives. I know. I hate that. That it's just like <laughs> it's just a side. And yeah. I know I want I want it to be used. Right. You know that that's that's yeah. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I enjoy about this is this functional art. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's something that someone can use and enjoy and pass down to generation to generation. It's highly functional. Exactly. Highly functional. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. And it's not you can't really get more of a functional art piece than a knife, really. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, it's the oldest piece of, you know, you see daggers from Egypt that are, you know, very ornamental and, you know, um, embellished and and just beautiful pieces, Mm -hmm. right? It's something that's been, that people have been doing for centuries. I'm not much of a a gun person, but I I would imagine that ornamental gun stuff could be quite the, the market as well. I mean, I'm, I know if there's guys that do yeah, like Damascus gun barrels and stuff like that. But oh yeah, for sure. I can. That would be the only other functional, extremely functional tool that people would want to be extremely ornate. Mm-hmm. We can't think of anything else. I mean, an axe is another one, I suppose, but not was, nearly a, as ornate. A kite came to my mind, like a beautiful a kite. kite flying in mm. the sky. They yeah. have to like stitch them together, put them together, and yeah, but, but is it's it not a functional? Tool? Yeah, what's the not, function of it? Yeah, it's flying and it's beautiful. But <laughs> vehicles yeah, are functional art. In well, a way. there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it depends on what your what your definition of art is and what your definition of function is. Um, oh. You know, I had this conversation with another maker recently where he didn't consider his work art. Hmm. And, you know, it's, this is a bit of a niche topic maybe, but, you know, I went to school for fine arts and the section of fine arts or the school that I went to, it's the discipline is craft, right? Yeah. And there's this, there's this kind of rift between fine art and craft because fine art is traditionally drawing, which, you know, includes painting and sculpture. Right and and traditional sculpture, so stone, uh, basically stonework. And if you don't fall into the one of those two categories, you're considered craft, and it's a lesser, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a lesser art, and um, you know, it's 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 been fighting 
for to get into the kind of the realm <laughs> of fine art and be accepted because you know where you know where we all just sell our work direct to the public and are happy with that there's a lot of crafts people especially people that i went to school with who do very ornamental jewelry and uh you know ornamental hollowware pieces that want to be accepted into galleries because they want to be accepted as the artists that they are and there's right. a lot of pushback um so yeah so what so you know you think oh yeah no no what the definition of art is very clear and, and everyone understands that, but in reality, it's not. And there's actually a lot of strife over it in the community. Yeah, the, the art world can be pretty uppity if you get into the uh, right circles or wrong circles, per se. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah for I sure. Well, Jeff talks about that a lot, doesn't he? Oh, we don't, we don't talk about him. I took my take, Valium. Take your Valium, man. I took my Valium. <laughs> Oh, dude. <laughs> Before we, you know what we should talk about? What's that? The Twiller linseed oil, dude. Ah, the Twiller. Is that they how you have... pronounce it? That's how I pronounce it. That's how we pronounce it. The Twiller. We talked the... We talked yesterday to uh, Dawson. He's the owner of the Twiller. And he, he gave us the lowdown. So he's going to be around for a little while. This product that comes out of, is it Saskatoon, Lyndon? That's right. Yeah. So Saskatoon it's available area. locally in Saskatoon at uh, that one shop we mentioned. Wood Essence. Wood Essence. So you can just pick it up there. Just drive your ass over to Wood Essence and get yourself some the Twiller products. But if you're not in Saskatoon, then you just order it online, right? The Twiller at, at Twiller.com. Yeah. Yep. And uh, do you have the product information, Lyndon? Yeah, man, I do. So this stuff is all um, locally grown in Canada, processed in Canada. Um, the seed is all like, you know, grade A seed. Um, you, you can't, you, you don't get better than this. There's no additives of any sort added into these products. If there, if there is, it's listed that this, this product has an additive added to it because he, he was mentioning that there are some, but the ones that you want to use that we're highly suggesting for the blacksmith, bladesmith guys, the makers, woodworkers you want to get yourself the wood the the flax wood finish is that what it is again yeah wood finish the wood finish has a beeswax additive to it and it comes as a paste so similar to uh the axe wax guys yeah but just the the axe wax out of the water man those guys are adding perfumes and whatnot into their waxes dude they I've are, never dude. used them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. This guy is 100%, and this is 100% pure linseed oh. oil. No additives to the linseed oil, and 100% pure beeswax. And you get 14 ounces, which is a sizable tub for it's... 24 Canadian dollars. Was it 24? So that, that's awesome. Yeah, that's what he told me. I thought it was 22 for some reason, but yeah. Let's not fight and, over two yeah, bucks. Yeah, so okay. he's got, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's 26. I don't know. Yeah. I, two, I four, think he eh? said 24. I you just got a two, two four, four on the brain. Yeah, it's a two four. Yeah, so he's got that and two other products. So uh, if you're finishing like axe handles, you might want to use the varnish, which has the pine rosin in it. And that adds a little bit of color to the wood. It kind of starts to color up a little bit. Gorgeous. I'm looking forward yep. to trying that one, man. And then he's got the, the standard double boiled linseed oil. 
and the difference is he does not add any Japan dryer. The Japan dryer is an additive that is is Most the one he said. There's no um, additives, um, and yeah. apparently it's uh, it could be a good thing if you're in a rush and you want your linseed oil to dry. Um, but if well for the right the applications, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so the thing he was explaining to us about that one, and he, first thing he we we said, so I want to use this for my hammers, right? Or that was first thing I said, I want to use this for my hand hammers. I want to soak it in there. Mm. And he's like, do you ever notice that when you do that, that it it kind of gums up and it gets gummy? And I was like, yeah, totally. This stuff won't do that, and it's because it doesn't have the Japan dryer in there. Uh. Yeah, all right. He says that he says it dries a little bit slower than what you would normally buy from the store for linseed oil, but but it won't. So you're up. using it for blackening your hammers. Well, uh, the linseed oil, the, sure the main thing is more actually for it. Uh, it adds in a permanent moisture into the handle. It helps swell the wood, and it also it, the the over time the linseed oil hardens. So it, right, yeah, but are you using it on the steel as well? Because I use flaxseed oil, which is basically linseed oil uh, on my cast iron. Well, it is. Yeah. Flaxseed yeah. oil is linseed oil, and yeah. yes, you could tot- the the paste wax with the beeswax added mm-hmm. to it would be oh, shit. so great. You add it onto yes. hot steel, not like yeah. red hot, but like a black mm-hmm. hot, right? And yeah, because I make these tongs that I blacken and okay. I like I say I'm not a blacksmith, so I just kind of guess at most of what I do with that regard. But I cook, cook them in my oven at 550. You know, I can't right. go too hot because they're 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 tempered, right? They're spring steel, um, which is canola oil, but it stinks to all hell. And I don't get, I don't get quite the dark finish that I want. I wonder if something like this would work better. <laughs> so something I've played around with in that regards that I, my preferred method instead of like wiping it on is a pain in the ass because Mm -hmm. it smokes like crazy and you just like, Oh God. And then you're playing with something, playing with hot steel in your hand, trying to wipe Mm -hmm. it on either with a rag or trying to brush it on with a paintbrush or something. My preferred method now is to bring it up to the right temperature that you want to be brushing it on and Mm -hmm. just throw it in a freaking barrel of oil. Okay. Oh, like obviously, a full linseed barrel. Yeah, obviously, if you want to do it with linseed, you're gonna to have to buy a few jugs of it, maybe <laughs> you know four or five liters of it, and sure. fill yeah. up like a you know like a four five inch mm-hmm. pipe or something like that. Create mm-hmm. like a dunk tank for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, get it up to temperature. Just throw it in there. Let it cool in Does the that oil. Work as well. Yeah. Any oil. Okay. Worked great for me. Not no, not any oil. Not any oil. But uh, the I know linseed oil works great. And I did it with canola oil. We're good I with wonder. canola oil too. But the problem mm-hmm. with canola oil is over time is it will go rancid. Yeah. Linseed oil, you won't have that problem. Interesting. Huh. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, if you're doing stuff like towel bars and, and stuff like that, you shouldn't be doing canola oil finish on it. You should be using uh, beeswax oh, yeah. and linseed oil finish. That's the way to go. Okay. Yeah. I'm and I have that. heard of guys adding turpentine to that mix to make it a three-part mix, yeah. but I tried it and I do not like that. Turpentine is harsh, dude. It's nasty oh, yeah. stuff. And wouldn't it yeah. burn off with the heat? Or... And it's yeah. Stinks. Yeah. 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 So linseed oil <laughs> and beeswax is Basically my your, go-to. Like and, seasoning a cast iron pen. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I don't see the tossing it in the oil 
seasoning it properly, but I I haven't tried it. So uh, my hands are up. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I, you're right. I, I did it. I took it out, wiped it down, and it was black, dude. Cool. Nice and black. But then again, I haven't done it. A, it's not like I do it all the time. I've done it a few yeah. times, and it worked out great. So I just, yeah. Yeah, because you don't want to be able to cast iron because you want a nice even finish with a cast iron. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess on a, you know, like my tongs, for example, your yeah. towel bar, or whatever you make, it doesn't really matter how even the finish is as long as it's black. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and what are the tongs them. that you're making, Jesse? Yeah, what's hmm? up with that? What are these tongs that you're making? Oh, they're just, uh, you know, just some spring steel tongs with uh, the blades are actually riveted on. Uh, and then they have a nice little bla- brass clasp uh, to keep everything together. Oh, sweet. Um, they should be on my website there if you want to check. Uh, you know, I, I got a little bit too wide with my product offerings uh, last year, and I don't yeah. have time to make everything. <laughs> so, Are um, these tongs for like the kitchen then type yeah, thing? Yeah, for the kitchen, exactly. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm kind of taking orders for that type of stuff on a, you know, as needed basis rather than creating inventory. Uh, this year is all about the knives. Well, I think the knives are probably like a higher demand item type thing than making something like tongs. I, I could be wrong, but how busy were you with the tongs? Ah, you know, I made I made a couple dozen of them and they all sold. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things, though, you're right. There is more market for a $900 knife than there is for $225 tongs. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love you. (laughs) Thanks, Lyndon. Sorry if I was making a bunch of noise with my phone there. I was looking up, trying to look up the tongs. No worries, no worries. I really really like the product. Yeah, I mean, of course, you're a blacksmith. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, no, I really really like them. I like the design. I like the way they look. I like the way they function. I really love the clasp. I was pretty proud of that. But... um, uh, you know, as an as ordered as ordered basis right now. Just you right. know, as you guys know, there's only one of each of us, and that's often the limiting factor. <laughs> True. Yeah, enough. no kidding. True and enough. the more you spread out with multiple products, I, I guess at a point, and and they were talking about that on the Work for It podcast. Um, I listened today, and he was mm-hmm. talking. To, I think it was Brian, and he was talking about having multiple products available and going down these different routes. And I see that as, as being super positive. And then on the flip side, I see it as kind of like if, if you're not concentrated on the one item, like your knives, mm-hmm. then you're just creating all these inefficiencies and in the, the time that you have allotted to make what you really want to make exactly but at Mm. the same time if you don't go down these paths then you don't have this time to experiment and Mm -hmm. try different things and maybe really get your stars to align on something else that that really hits totally you know and that's been my philosophy like with all my spatulas and the tongs is i make one of them and i put it out there and i see what people say you know if the reaction is positive and they like it then I'm going to make some more of them, right? Um, you know, the, all of the spatulas and tongs, we were talking about Etsy before the show a little bit, yeah. um, but those are my Etsy products, right? Those are things oh, yeah. that 
I put up on Etsy and, and people are, they're more impulse items, right? You know, and, and more kind of cash flow items for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, they're, they're relatively quick and easy to make. You know, mm-hmm. there's a fair bit of margin in them. Um, and, uh, you know, they get people introduced to your brand a little bit. Right. Um, right. You know, actually, funny story, the tongs got bought. I sold them off Etsy and I got a message from a fellow like a couple months later. And it's like, hey, I love your tongs. I won them at the uh, Johnsonville Grilling Award. Oh, cool. A, and so they made like a plaque and they put my tongs on the plaque and they, you know, it's, I got a little bit frustrated because they called them the titanium tongs, you know, which they're not, they're steel tongs, but I'm like, right. you should have sent me a message. I would have made you titanium tongs. Like how awesome <laughs> would that have been? Anyways, it, it was, it was really cool. And he was really excited because oh, he, he won this competition and got the tongs and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was kind of a cool story. Neat. Oh, and titanium tongs. Now that you say that, dang, <laughs> I know. Right. And titanium is the perfect material for tongs. It's got a ton of right? tons of spring in it, like grade five. Yeah, nice and light. Fantastic. Totally. Oh, yeah. God, that'd be beautiful. And the color I mean, you put into it. 100%. Ah. I mean, they'd be $500 ah. tongs, but. Oh, dude, I'm getting horny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do it, man. I want to see them. I'm, I've got that chunk of titanium. Remember I was showing it oh, to you? Yeah, you do too. I was going to chunk a hat or cut a hatchet out of it, but I think tongs would be way yeah, sweeter. That's a big piece of titanium. It's what, what is it? Three eighths, three eighths plate. And it's got to be what? 16 by 16 ish, 16 by 12. Something like that. Yeah. That's, that's expensive or expensive piece of material. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's got a couple welds on it and stuff, so it's not perfect, but whatever. Yeah. Who cares? I can can get tongs out of it for sure. (laughs) Totally. Imagine. What do you, what are you cutting that? Oh, I I was going to ask Jesse because he's got, titanium often on the sides of his blades and they're always different colors mm. and i was just kind of curious how he achieves that yeah are you guys familiar with the process of anodizing titanium i've like before? like you've obviously i've seen looked like at it stuff. i know yeah. how it's sort of done but yeah so there's there's, really. two, there's there's two ways of doing it you can do it with a rectifi- rectifier and an acid bath you know, similar to anodizing, basically you just apply voltage to it, right? Okay. In an, in an acid bath. And that'll get you a really nice, even color. Um, you know, and there's a range of colors you can get depending on the voltage you apply. And uh, when you're talking way- acid, you're talking about like vinegar or are you talking mm. something stronger? It's something stronger. Uh, like I can't remember the exact acid that's used, but like a, like a battery acid. Mm. You know, it's a similar process to anodizing or anodizing aluminum. Okay. Um, but no, so what I do is called heat anodizing. And when you heat titanium, it forms a very thin layer of oxide on its surface. Okay. And the oxide is invisible, but when light hits it, it ref- refracts it differently back at you. Um, All right. so, the, so the longer you heat the titanium, the thicker the layer of oxide and the different colors you get. Okay. Um, you know, so my kind of probably most common color is blue, you know, but there's a range, you know, when you start heating, it goes from a light straw to almost a brassy golden color up into a vibrant purple. And then you get to, to be a vibrant blue and okay. from there it goes to kind of a light blue. And your, then your it, heat, your heat treating scale. It's the same your as heat that. Treating scale, it's very yeah. similar. Yeah. Um, and if you go past that, it gets really gray again, but then you get this kind of purpley green if you heat oh, it up cool. too far and it's a it's a bit of a dark art you know you got to heat it and then take your torch away and yeah. watch the watch the oxide form 
you know, and then put your torch back and then just, yeah, just quench it in, uh, in water. To stop um, it, right? As soon as you get that exact color you want, just quench it, right? Or... No, it'll it'll stay. It'll stay. Okay. As soon as you remove the heat, it will stop. You know, stop forming oxide, stop changing. Oh, you color. don't you, you don't find that the heat kind of continues to travel into the piece a little no, bit. No, not at all. Not at all. Oh, interesting. Um, I I quench it because I'm impatient. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you ask, if you quench it in furic chloride, you get a really cool kind of lightning effect. Oh, neato. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's totally random, of course. I mean, certain yeah. colors go certain colors, but uh, in terms of the the pattern on that you'll get is is completely unique and and, and random. Um, Very cool. Yeah, really really cool to play around with. Uh, yeah. You know, if you've got all that titanium, you should you should give it a whirl. And, oh, and then, sure. how resistant is this oxide layer? Mm, it's uh, quite resistant. Like you couldn't scratch it with your in normal use. Oh, no way. You know, in, in fact, I've gone, you know, a customer has asked for for uh, purple and I will over, I overshot it and went to dark blue. You have to grind quite a bit to get it back. Wow. You know, like if you if you hit it with a scotch bright, it'll take yeah. the color away. Uh, but if you go to heat it again, it doesn't work. Like it, it the oh. colors don't match up to what you expect. Because I, okay. I, I, I don't know for sure, but I expect there's still that oxide there. And you're building oxide on top of oxide now. And it's skewing with the spectrum a bit. Um, yeah. so you need to grind it right back to bare metal and there's quite a bit there. Like, you know, you hit it with hmm. a 220 grip belt and you got to dunk it a few times when you're, cause your fingers hurt. Wow. So it really yeah. embeds itself into the titanium. It really does. Yeah. It really does. It's a really interesting material, kind of terrifying. I've set my shop on fire a couple of times with it. Oh really? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, the sparks are white and, yeah. uh, and right. yeah, they're, and the, the dust will actually auto ignite really um, yeah good, good to know <laughs> yeah so yeah if you go cutting yours up uh be very conscious of where your sparks are going okay and collect them up yeah. um yeah, yeah yeah and and when you say auto ignite they'll just like flash burn or they, they like smolder like kind of like kind of like hot rags or uh, uh, not hot rags uh, oily rags oily similar rags. you have to get quite the concentration of it yeah. Um, I've never had that happen, but I, you know, it is, it does, they don't, the sparks don't die like a steel spark does, right? I'm sure we've all mm -hmm. accidentally set our bench on fire no, or, that makes so much you know, sense. or, or set a, a small clump of sparks on fire from grinding. Yeah. Um, they, it's a very similar thing, but it's much quicker than with steel okay. and they, the sparks so it has a lot potential longer. of it has actually potential. causing a fire. Exactly. Do I often, when I do it, I, you know, I'll grind into my spark or try to, if I can, you know, into the uh, the swarf bucket under the grinder yeah. yep. and you know if, if i've been grinding some wood or resin or something before then and it hits the edge of the bucket it lights the edge of the bucket on fire like that wow you just got me you've got me thinking because do you know what thermite is mm -hmm. so it, it's almost like that homemade, homemade thermite is just iron oxide like so you take rust yeah. And yeah. get get a fine powder of rust, and then aluminum. Same yeah. thing, f f aluminum dust, mm -hmm. and you mix the two together. Normally, you would ignite it using some magnesium, mm -hmm. but if you're using in replacement of the aluminum dust, if you're using titanium dust, I wonder if it just if it ignites that much easier. Maybe this is a real burns even hotter. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I could get myself maybe arrested it, for talking about this. Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's scary stuff though. You got to you got to really be careful. You know, I, I've uh, I've had a couple of close calls and uh, with you know with with sparks in general and and steel dust. Uh, but the titanium is an extra. It's an extra concern for sure. 
The main yeah. reason I go went into that kind of dive there, whatever breakdown is just to point out that, um, you know, these non-volatile materials that we have in our shop, that they actually can become very volatile, as you're finding out right here from Jesse, that just the dust from titanium is something that you have to watch out for. And then, yeah. you know, take into account what I'm telling you with aluminum dust and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, iron oxide as well. If that's oh, the thick sure. yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you see so many guys are just getting started and you see you know they post videos of what they're doing and it's great you know it's fantastic they're sharing that but it's like you got to be careful because a lot of the things that you think are safe and you don't see them as dangerous in the moment can be dangerous <laughs> you know even furic chloride it's an acid it will burn your skin you know the i mean i i wear my full face shield full respirator and i still go home with with black steel to stop my nose as i'm sure you guys do like it's, it's just in the air and there's a product yeah. on the market for that now there's little nose plug filters you can buy really yeah oh my god and they're actually they dude i was watching a video and the guy would pull them out and they'd be freaking black oh and i'm not like, surprised i mean uh, I'm yeah sure it doesn't I'm sure you guys blow your nose and splack after the shop. Oh, as a welder, dude. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, so yeah. many black days. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Oh, like, tell me about it, man. I've considered changing professions so many. <laughs> after those days, you just you go home and you're like, why do I do this to myself? You know, these <laughs> guys making more money than me sitting in an office upstairs, all cushy, eating donuts all day long. <sighs> I made the wrong life decision, maybe. I don't know. Decisions. <laughs> <laughs> but before uh, you do that, head over to maritimeknifesupply.ca <laughs> and buy yourself a 10-pack of grinding belts or sanding belts because when you buy a 10-pack, you save 10%. Get yourself a free belt. And who doesn't want to save 10% and get a free belt? So head over to Maritime Knife Supply right now, baby, and get yourself that 10-pack. I'm I'm ordering something tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, I'm going on the website ordering. and I'm ordering. Well, my card has I, some I had a guy stop in today at the shop with a knife, and the scales were cracking. They were they weren't bad. They were just off the edges. But he said that when he got it, he got it in fall, and by the winter time, they had raised like an eighth of an inch. Mm. He called the. Uh, the company said, hey, I've got this problem with my knife. I just got it. He's, he said he paid like $700 for the knife. And I was like, holy shit. And he said they never even replied. They didn't They didn't stand up behind their oh product. Oh, my and gosh. Like, oh. And it's a Sanmai uh, Japanese white steel in the oh. core of it. Well, that's what he called it anyway. And uh, nice burl on the sides with, uh, with some liners. And uh, yeah, I need to order some pin material because he wants uh, the same kind of pins, the uh, the fancy pins hmm. that that Maritime Knife Supply has. So, what are some the, of those? Some of the brass pins? Are they what? What are they? Um, what are they called? Like mosaic, mosaic, yeah, mosaic yeah. pin, and uh, yeah. So I'll swap those out. But he said, "Can you replace these with gold?" I was like, what? 
gold and i was like no nah, you, you don't want to put gold pins man like you don't Why even not? see them they just see the like the ends i wonder could you even buy gold pins somewhere does maritime next play no i don't if you if you went to a goldsmith and asked for little gold One pins, pins totally totally mm. could get them i wonder if i could do you have two grand that's about yeah. That's about what the you guy said. Money is no object. I was like, Obviously, all right, yeah. I, 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 real grande. Want you as a customer. What's real, that? Real grande. Real grande.com. They're a big jewelry supply at uh, well, real grande, New Mexico. No, I'll, I'll, I'll take you to the place. I'll take you to go see Bob, dude. <laughs> Bob, Bob's who we used to get all our jewelry from back in the day, man. So you see all the boys get the jewelry from. So he hooks us all, up. All the gold chains and. <laughs> yeah the real shit man nice yeah <laughs> funny enough it's where me and my wife got our actual marriage license done was that his oh, yeah. <laughs> in his store <laughs> it's like the guy that hooks up all the freaking yeah what a what a that was an interesting situation anyways good old bob <laughs> Right. I don't even know. Uh, he might. He might even not be around anymore. He was an old dude, man. So see, but yeah, you should go see him. If not, then Rattan. We'll go see Rattan Jewelers. He's my mom's friend, Goldsmith. Okay. But they're local, dude. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll you sure know, local. I'll give him a call. This Rio Rattan. Grande place doesn't sound like they're. No, in they're Canada. not local. No, yeah. they're not. They're not. Yeah, they can take off, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. You got a, do you got do you got a Canadian topic that we can go over real quick? Canadians, the the geese are back in town. Hey, that's my topic. Is that oh. uh, so? You know, once a year the geese they leave, and then once a year the geese come back. Hey, eh? and it's that time of year where the geese are coming back, and it's it's loud, it's obnoxious. They're walking on the roads, creating hazards, and it's you know. They should put up more more crossing signs. I think for the geese, you put they put them everywhere for the deer, and I think the the geese deserve more respect. So there should be more geese crossing signs I everywhere. I did That's... have to break yesterday and slow down for a couple of geese to cross the road. Funny enough, but but it's a freaking snowstorm out there right now. They came home <laughs> way time. too early. I'm like, oh, it's gonna be nice by the weekend. It's freaking flurries and well those hose heads don't know what they're doing man they do this every year they come back and they go and they sit on the ice and the winter storms and yeah. we could have stayed in florida you hoser jeez don't they, they go somewhere like south of cuba oh, yeah they don't go they? south yeah yeah jeez, and, and jesse here he said he had plus 25 degrees celsius weather today yeah oh what yeah i was not <laughs> I down my car today so uh yeah just beautiful out here but no geese no geese no if you geese. can believe it that's funny oh, because for, for just, you, Jesse, no geese. Look at oh, us, rich and geese. <laughs> I was just talking to my friend in Kelowna like two days ago, Goose and he got bread. thirty centimeters of snow up at Big White. Oh wow! Like two days ago, oh, yeah, up there maybe, yeah, not down here in the valley. It's yeah, so yeah. crazy the difference. It's like what yeah. is it a ten to fifteen degree difference from the city oh, to the uh, mountaintop? At, at least I know you guys don't have mountains out there, but um, uh, yeah, no, at least. <laughs> Yeah, we've got geese though, man. You got geese, which you could have them. Uh, you can keep them all. Yeah, I'd trade the geese for the mountains any day. 
Do you get no geese doubt. out there ever? I don't know if you guys get geese in the mountains. Oh, yeah. You? We oh, get yeah. geese. Oh, okay. yeah. We have geese. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, good old they, Canadian they, geese. They, eh? they live in our parks, chase people. They're good. <coughs> They're horrible creatures. <laughs> Co- the real cobra chicken, eh? Cobra chicken. <laughs> Pretty delicious, though. Why don't they make Canadian bacon from geese? Because you can't... Uh... Not enough fat. On a fat, yeah, not okay. a fat, and you can't just like entrap them and farm them. <laughs> they need to go well, you, south every you year. You can. They do. People do that. People trap and farm geese. I don't know if it's the Canadian ge- goose, Canada but, goose, but yeah, you know, but they're wild. <laughs> okay. Well, well, all right, Lyndon, you're wild. I've got my Stay shout wild. out. I've got my shout out. You want to hear it? my shout out? Well, yeah, first, shout it out. Sticker, sticker buyer. We got a new sticker buyer, Aaron Struby. That's the dude. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so thank you very much. We'll, uh, we'll talk about you on, on a later show. Good day. For today's show, we've got Chris Dixon. He goes under white North forge. He purchased tickets a little while back. He's got some interesting material on his, uh, on his Instagram. And you've probably uh, heard us talk about that hose head before. Yes. He's, we've talked yes. about him before. Chris Dixon. Yeah, he's in Alberta, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, it looks like he's got like nice set of tools. Oh, he definitely participated in Can Iron. Just like, looks like a great hobbyist, just the kind of dude that likes to go in the shop, hammer out some stuff and get creative. And uh, that's, he's the that's guy awesome. we thought was Chris Rowan for a long time, remember? Yes, yes, yeah. I do recall. And, oh, he's got a really nice coffee scoop, nice brass uh, or a copper scoop attached Lots to Lots of people the, are doing uh, that nowadays. Yeah, like the Derek Melton yeah. style. Yeah, he's yeah. gorgeous. He's busy nice. with those. <laughs> I'd imagine. But That's, my real shout out. out. You just did like three, four people right there. Jeez no, please. but those are that's a sticker feature, a sticker buy, and my true shout out is going to Abstract Blacksmith tonight. Because what? Yeah, he gave me a freaking hammer this week. Went over <laughs> to his place and he said, "Dude, here you go, man. You can have this hammer." I heat treated or tempered it and uh, put hung it on a handle. I used it yesterday uh, quite a bit actually. It's. Uh, it's a bruiser. It's got to be over three pounds. It's got to be close to the three and a half. So I'd say that's uh, probably where it should be. And, yeah. and that's where I like a uh, hammer to sit, right around three to three and a half. And uh, yeah, just cool to have a piece uh, made by a local maker. So my shout out is going to Lando Novak. I didn't abstract blacksmith. I didn't. Uh, I didn't make a mark that one, did I? No, you didn't. Kind of, oh, kind of. You know what? <laughs> I'm taking the shout out back. <laughs> you got somebody else. I got somebody else. I'll, yeah, you can put an AB on the on the the handle or something. Grind it in there. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I was you thinking sh- about doing your blacksmith challenge, the two word thing. Yeah, I think, I think I'm gonna make an abstract blacksmith sign. Oh, that's an awesome idea. Right? Yeah. So on Blacksmith Challenges Monthly on Facebook, I had to choose the challenge. And I really enjoyed making 
the north, south, east, west on my weather vane. And I was like, okay, what what can I do as a challenge? I went on to Tyler Dye's um, Instagram and I was looking at like joinery and I was like, shit, that would be sweet. But I want something that that is a little bit more simple and different. So I was like, lettering. So you got a blacksmith some letters to write a couple words yeah and i think i'm gonna go like i'm gonna go full out actual abstract with with it and try to do like an incorporation of blacksmith items with some riveting and joinery oh, work wow. as well as maybe throwing some copper and stainless steel some welding in there as well to try to just start really... now <laughs> Oh yeah, Start yeah now. I know. There's... Oh, I've been rolling the idea in my head for a couple of days already, dude. Sweet, that's where it starts, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there, I definitely recommend putting it on paper. The way I did mine was I printed out. Uh, it was like grid paper, one centimeter by one centimeter, and kind of sketched out my letters onto that, and then cut, measured it out, cut my steel, and then went from there. And even then, my E was way too big and had to had to remake it. Yeah, well, exactly like you said, you got to, if you put it on paper first, and while well, one of the other things that I've started to do that I really like to do is just draw it on the floor with chalk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like, so. yeah. <clears throat> See, you hear a lot of people doing that, like to lay out stuff, but... I like I like sketching it out, drawing it. And... How about you, Jesse? How do you design your work? Yeah, I was just saying I don't draw anything. I can't draw. Okay. Um, my my two like you know, not that it matters. My two lowest grades ever in anything were drawing classes. Like I yeah. just can't draw. I can't. So, I can you know I can visualize obviously. Um, you know, I can see it in my head. Yeah. But to put it on paper in you know in anything more than two dimensions is just not going to happen. Um, right. and, I, and I don't know why I've kind of over the years I've like tried to figure it out because I mean obviously I can see what I'm going to make and, and visualize it on my head and create it in three dimensions but I, I just can't get it on paper and I think it's something to do with light and shadow I just can't see that for whatever reason um, so no I don't draw anything and uh, which is which is nice now I've gotten to the point where people kind of come to me and say hey I want this knife you've made with this handle you've made and this so it's I don't have to draw a lot anymore right, um, right. you know but Definitely starting out, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to draw this for you, but it won't look like this. <laughs> right? yeah, this, is yeah. just, this is just a rough sketch. Um, so, no, I can't draw to save my soul. I, I use CAD a lot. You know, okay. if, if, I have, if I have to draw something, I can, I can do it in CAD, uh, you know, in, in, in Fusion. Um, but uh, that's, that's, that's the extent of my drawing. Yeah, yeah. I was, was going to ask you guys draw everything before you make it, eh? I do not yeah. everything, but I, I, but a, I love drawing. Like I, okay. It was something I've like at four years old, I'd love drawing. Yeah. I've got like sketchbooks from like when I was a little kid and yeah. So I, I enjoy that creative time to, to draw it out. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I always find it interesting how different people, create right because i know you know i know in university it was very much you need to draw what you're going to build you know right. and and you need to draw out your project and have all these little details figured out but I, I could never figure them out you know i cannot i i can't draw two things and 
tell you how they're going to work together. It just doesn't work. Once I get the material okay. in my hands, it's absolutely no problem. Yeah. Um, you know, it looks like you kind of maybe understand that, Lando. <laughs> um, that's, that's, there's two sides to that because if you draw something, you're devoted to that drawing and essentially in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is what you drew, so this is what you're making. I understand that. If you don't have a drawing, the possibilities are endless. You don't know mm -hmm. what the possibilities are. You don't know what the end result is going to be. You just kind of let it happen. Mm -hmm. And to me, those can be the most fruitful moments is when you just kind of let some, that's when you really create. Although if you're good behind the pencil and it sounds like Justin is, you may have the ability to create, like I don't have the, my, my brain doesn't have the ability to think and draw fast enough to portray my ideas. Right, Whereas right. if I've got a piece of hot steel in my hand and I'm like, well, let's, try this and see what happens and i see it happening and i just keep going with it you can't do that with a pen and paper right so no i completely agree that's how that's how i work too you know i i do find the pencil throws slows me down because i'm trying so hard to visualize that on paper instead of i get hung up on that aspect of it instead of just <laughs> allowing yourself to create no i completely understand that um, that's bizarre people, for me I, yeah. I see it totally well it's awesome that you guys do it that way because I've it, like, I can't, I don't see it that way. So it's a, yeah. a different perspective. Now, do you do really elaborate drawings like full rendering and that type of stuff, or is it you know purely technical? Uh, no, like I'll have measurements alongside of mm -hmm. it, and I try to sketch it as close as possible to what my final piece will be, but. Yeah, I'm not like bringing it into the computer and digitizing it. I'm just putting it okay. on paper. Yeah. Um, from paper, I'll sometimes cut it out, glue it onto a piece of like hardboard, and then I'll have that template forever. Mm -hmm. And that'll be good enough for now. And then from there, if I want to reproduce that knife several times, it, it clicks. People want mm -hmm. it. Then right I'm bringing there. it into the computer. What you said right there. If I want to reproduce it, then I'll draw it. Oh, okay. Right. If it's going to be a one-off thing, this is the only one that I'm going to do, I generally don't draw it. Yeah. See, I, I think I get lost. Or I, maybe I don't get lost. Like I've done just like, okay, I'm grabbing a piece of steel and I'm going to make a knife. But I feel like I would lose kind of the goal that I have in head in my mm. head, sorry. And sometimes I see your like, point of like, sometimes that's good. That's good. Right. But often I've already like, okay, this is what I'm making. I'm committing to this. I'll send the customer a picture of the knife. Yeah, they approve it. Story. And they're like, okay, cool. Do that. And I, I make it to spec on that drawing. Yeah. But yeah, that's my biggest nightmare. I hate I, I, I hate it when I've sent that drawing and, and, you know, they're like, okay, this is what they're getting. And it's like, well, what if that doesn't work in three dimensions? You know, right. what if, what if that, you know, in, in, in 2D on a piece of paper, sure, those proportions are correct. But uh -huh. once you add that third dimensions, proportions often change, right? And so that's, you know, it's never been an issue. I've never had anyone go, oh my goodness, this is, you know, not what I asked for. Yeah. You know, but I, I, I do, I, I think do general find it to be a, a limitation. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I don't know. I see it. I see it. I kind of understand it from my drawings. So that's interesting. Cool. Yeah. Hey, I've got a uh, speaking about drawings. An inspiration to me. My shout out this week goes out mm. to uh, somewhat of a new friend. I could say um, when I was in Kelowna and. You may draw inspiration from this at some point in your life as well, Jesse, because he's local to you. Uh, I was introduced to my friend's roommate. His name is Steve, and he goes by Creativity, Creativity Steve. So it's not just it's not creative; it's creative with an I, and then Steve. And his drawings or paintings are something out of a Looney Tunes acid trip. <laughs> <laughs> and when i when i stayed in that they they live in a basement apartment as well when i stayed in their basement apartment with them it was literally very much their their whole their whole apartment was painted like purple walls and yellow bright yellow accents and orange walls and stuff like that with the paintings all over the place and stuff like that too lava lamps and stuff like that just like super some retro furniture and stuff like that just super chill felt like i was like in the 70s or something like that and they're just like out of this world and it was such a great feeling and i yeah just a shout out to him for the artwork he does because i drew a lot of inspiration from that it, it really took me back to wanting to be creative being there and he actually slapped me across the face he gave me a will smith and said your logo <laughs> your logo is too plain jane dude your name is abstract blacksmith what are you doing this is an abstract <laughs> bring bring it back he said bring it back so i've he's the guy he, hand in hand with making the sign so yes yeah that's uh that's that's my personal shout out for for this week there was somebody that reached out to us on the show or that shared um the show on their wet instagram and i'd like to give them a shout out as well if you don't mind they go by sasquatch cnc and how cool is this he's the cnc operator at coal ironworks dude and yeah. he gave us a shout out or he gave yeah. us well, a share I sent on him his stickers ah there you go yeah yeah so I, that was pretty cool he, that he shared that i'd messaged me about a month ago and said hey man uh sticker swap or i i think i don't know what we talked about but it ended up being that was the end result so i was like sure i'll send you stickers from whatever i've got and sent him a bunch so he's sending cool. me a few as well um feel like i was gonna say something oh other mentions we got mentioned on uh the hustle and grind they interviewed brigham brigham it's not brigham it's brig brigham 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 and yeah. not bring him but brigham bring yeah. it he uh he opened up a root beer and said love you so i thought that was kind of nice. awesome yeah Oh, and, Rupert would be great right now. And definitely on Knife Talk, man, they plugged us twice, which was right? great. And uh, that yeah. was before everybody messaged Jeff asking him <laughs> how his day's going, eh, buddy? Yeah, yeah, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> Do people actually listen to us? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> if Lyndon says to jump off a bridge, you don't have to do it, guys. <laughs> 
But if you want to come join me, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I know some real good ones, eh? Grand, Grand Forks, <laughs> dude. Do you feel like swimming and cliff jumping and stuff? Grand Forks, BC has yeah, yeah. one of the sickest bridges to jump off of, dude. That so is not awesome. my scene. <laughs> not your scene, no. I've seen videos of people doing it off the one in Kenora, and that thing is a monster of a bridge. Oh, there. really? Yeah, yeah. A guy died a few years back doing it as well. Like he hit, hit bottom the water. Or no, hit the, hit water, the water. Yeah. Yeah, if yeah. he hit it wrong. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. There was a big swing on it. And yeah. It looks like a good time until you not there's die. a, a lake back die. home yeah. called cliff lake and my buddy teddy used to jump from this one there there's a couple clips they named all the cliffs right and there was some there was one called the brain which was like kind of dicey to jump off of then there, there was one that you kind of had to like scale off of it up about six feet onto this tiny little ledge that was like square and like the rock the rock you had to scale to get up to it was just like a perfect square rock out of the out of the wall yeah. so they called that the chimney and then you kind of scaled a little bit further around that onto like just a little ledge that stuck out and they called that dead man's leap and you yeah, literally yeah. had to like, you had to put your legs against the wall and like just shove yourself out as Jump far as, as you far. can. And you had to make sure that when you landed, you like penciled and like sh let your body shoot outwards into the water because you were landing in like 10 feet of water maybe. Oh man. It was like insane. And Teddy used to do it all the time. I thought he was, well, his last name was Moose, Teddy Moose. Go figure, <laughs> a, a name like that. And yeah, you're going to be a nut job, right? And I, might, I was talking to my dad about him not that long ago, and he's like, oh, yeah, Teddy's still in that job. <laughs> yeah. That used to be our regular hangout back in the day as kids, man. We used to go cliff jumping all the time in the summer. Oh, so much fun. Oh, it's a blast. Oh, yeah. 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 Cool. There was, there was the one called the Triangle. That was a 13-meter leap. Like maybe a meter down from that and over to the side was called Pussy's Leap. Yeah, like what? <laughs> There's ones like that are like five meters tall that are way down there or whatever. But oh, let's call the one that's like way up here, pussy leap. Yeah. Hey? yeah, yeah, bizarre. Oh man, I miss that place. That's that's really cool. Like honestly, Red Bull could have a competition there with all the cool cliffs. Yeah, we're talking about <laughs> we're we're rambling here. Let's get to the after. I, I want to hear maybe shout out. We didn't oh. hear such oh. a shout out. I'm, I'm sorry, my bad. Jesse? You oh, you want my shout out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got one. yeah I'll have a, I have a shout out. Actually, um, Leon yeah. from uh, Two Birds Blade Works. Okay. He's, uh, he's a, uh, I believe he's a general contractor, is his full time job. Really nice guy. And, uh, you know, we're actually going to do a, a maker swap, him and I. I'm going to make him a blade. He's going to make me a blade. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I've, can't remember when I started following, maybe about a year ago. Okay. And, uh, you know, I think he has a really unique style and, and I've really seen his work improve over the last year. And, uh, yeah, uh, he's a really good guy. He's, you know, he asked me a ton of questions and, uh, you know, we, we kind of converse back and forth about, uh, knife making and, and he's a, he's a forging guy. He does integrals primarily. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I really I, enjoy I think his work. I follow and him on Instagram and possibly on TikTok as well. Oh, is he on TikTok? I, I had think, no idea. I think, well, the name rings a bell. 
His, his, or is his, uh, the two his, birds the two fingers? Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. His maker's mark is the no, two the two fingers. It was another podcast they were talking about him. Okay, and that's uh, awesome. I just yeah found him. Yeah, Instagram. really nice guy, and we we kind of chat, you know, as one does, chat back and forth about uh, making and whatnot. And yeah, and yeah, yeah, I really I really like his work, so I'm excited to get the blade he's making for me, and uh, I'm gonna make one for him, and cool. uh, I'd like to do that with some other makers too. You know, I don't have enough money for a. Uh, for a collection, but you yeah. know, if, if there's people that are interested in, in, in my work, I'd love to form a collection that way. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. awesome. So check, check check him out. He's a small guy, I think, but uh, but he has has nice work. Excellent, excellent. Well, you mentioned Etsy. You mm. obviously have a very nice website. What is your Thank website? You. Uh, it's on Shopify. It's what a platform I use. the The website is NordquistDesigns.com. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you know, I, I've bounced around as I'm sure most people have when they're kind of starting their business and their online presence. You know, I've used um, I've used Squarespace and yep. Wix, and yeah. um, you know, I think everyone's tried WordPress everything. A little bit. Yeah. WordPress a little bit, um, you know, and and quite frankly, the for me at least, the scary thing about Shopify was that monthly fee. You know, there's a, I think I can't remember what I pay. It's pricey. You pay out 50 bucks a month. And when you don't make any money every month, <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, it's that 50 bucks that could go somewhere else to steal or, you know, belts or whatever. Um, so, you know, a lot of people will use Etsy and that's kind of where I started selling my work. You know, they have a program where it's called Pattern. You pay 10 bucks a month and you have your own website, but it's linked okay. to Etsy, right? Okay. And so I did, I did that for a while. But, um, you know, Shopify is what I use and, you know, I, like I do quite a bit of volume. Um, you know, I, I, I sell 20 odd blades a month, let's say. Wow. And so, you know, you, if you start doing the math on the fees on that, it, they add up really quite quickly, you know, and we were talking about before the show, Etsy has raised their commissions once again. Yeah. So it's almost 12% when you sell something there. And I think there's a whole bunch of makers that are going on Etsy strike in this upcoming week as I well. I heard about this. My girlfriend yeah. told me about this, some kind of TikTok uh, movement. Yeah, yeah. They're which, like, the fees are too high. We're going on strike. <laughs> like, which I, under, which I understand. Um, You're processing you know, I, a payment and accepting a photo. Like, Yeah, and I mean, they, they do drive traffic. I have to say they do drive traffic um, to your product, which is worth something right you know you you oh, should have sure. to pay you should have to pay for that um you know but they've also put a lot of roadblocks in for makers as well like if you earn more than ten thousand dollars in a calendar year on etsy right you are automatically forced into their off-site ad program oh which means that they will take your products and they'll put them in google ads and facebook ads and and that type of stuff but when a customer clicks on that product and they buy it you're yep. now charged 15 percent Huh. For the privilege of having them show in your product at right. an offsite ad. Now, which is which is fine. You go, okay, well, great. You made a sale you wouldn't have otherwise made, but here's the catch. So now let's say they click, let's say you're on Etsy and they click on your product yeah. and they go, okay, there's a knife, and then they see some related knives and they see my knives, and they click on my knife and they buy my knife, they're char- I'm charged 15%. It's oh. within 30 days. Right. So right. if you click on an Etsy ad, then make a purchase. The seller you made a purchase from is bidding that offsite ad fee, regardless of assuming Ouch. they're opt-in, but regardless of if they actually had their ad shown offsite and had it clicked on, um, and 
And to make that worse, if you make more than $10,000 a year on Etsy, you're automatically opted into it and you cannot opt out. Hmm. Yeah, Man. which is a, is a bit frustrating because, you know, a $900 knife, do the math on that. It's a lot of money. That's, yeah, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts. So, you know, Where I'm actually... On, on your, your Shopify, you're, what, you're losing how much percentage? Like three? Three percent. Four yeah. percent, depending on the credit card the customer uses. Yeah, yeah. You know, it still adds up. It's a horrible bill I look at every month, but um, <laughs> you know, but it, but at least it's reasonable. You know, you got to yeah. got to get people's money to you somehow, and there's a service there, and that's fine. oh yeah, that's unavoidable, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just all those extra fees, and then yeah, it's so it's 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 tough. It's it's really tough. Okay, so now you've made a sale, you've got the knife in your hands. How do you? Uh, What's the next step? Do you stuff it in a paper bag and ship it? What 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 does your packaging look like? <laughs> What's my packaging look like? I yeah. ship. Um, you know, it's like I, I make a leather wrap for each knife. Oh, nice. I don't know if you've seen those. So, you know, it's I was when I first started actually moving some blades. I was like, okay, I need to package these properly. You know, for both for transportation, but also presentation, right? You know that. You just spent a lot of money on a blade. It should look nice mm-hmm. when you open the box. And so I went to all these custom packaging places. I was like, all right, what can I what can I do? Let's get some custom packaging made. I'm like, okay, that'll be like 20 bucks a box for a cardboard box. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, that's for something someone's going to throw out, really? So, yeah. um, So, you know, I was like, wait, well, I got to find a better solution for this. So, you know, it turns out leather is actually not that expensive. And uh, it's fairly easy to sew. You know, we ended up actually my my girlfriend does all the sewing of the cases. We bought her a big industrial sewing machine so she can do that properly. And um, so, yeah, so they all ship in a leather wrap, which is a really great way of protecting them, quite frankly. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's big five, six ounce leather. Um, It's tied up and it's something that it's not going to throw out. People aren't going to throw out, right? They're going to hold on to, you know, maybe put it. They're not going to store that knife in it or my knife in it, maybe another knife. They're not going to throw out regards. They're going to sit in the junk room, which I, I don't know. I feel like is better than just throwing out a $20 cardboard box. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, and, and so, yeah, so I ship everything in the leather wrap and, uh, you know, everything goes in a, a nice U-line box, lots of padding, lots of packing. Yep. And uh, Got to love you know, those U-line catalogs, eh? Oh, they just, they're like a plague. They're a plague, man. I get, <laughs> I I get like two a month. It's like, like why? It's like I spend... <laughs> I spend like a thousand bucks with you every every six months. Like you don't, uh, it's not 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 worth it. And did you ever look at the catalog, or did you just go click online and search? I just hit reorder. Yeah, reorder. Um, yeah. You know, you know what I use the catalog for is for testing my sharpening. Right. Right. That's all I use the catalog for. All right. Did I sharpen this one properly? Yep. It cuts paper. Perfect. It can go in the box now. So actually that's one thing I did this week. I went out for sushi. I brought my Asuba knife that I made, brought it, gave it to the waitress. And I was like, can you show my knife to the chef and (laughs) get me some feedback? And she came back and she said, it's not sharp enough. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) she said she, he took a, I guess a napkin is what they test their knives on. Sure. And it did not cut the napkin. What do you use for sharpening? What's your sharpening system? I use the VSM Lumeron belts to like get down to a first edge and then I'll go on to stones. 
And apparently I'm not doing a good enough job. (laughs) So I need to figure out a better sharpening system. Now what I, I, I just asked, cause like what, like when you say you used to, like, what do you like, like how, like how thick do you grind before you sharpen? I guess that's what I'm asking. Like on the edge. Yeah. So like, 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 so you finish, so you finish the blade and you're, you're ready to sharpen it. Now, what do you use? Like if you're using the aluminum belt, like how thick is your edge, I guess. Uh, generally if like on a, like a kitchen knife, it's yeah, not maybe a 16th less than that possibly. Okay. Okay. And then you do a, a secondary bevel there. Yeah. And then okay. I got my second I got gotcha. you with the Illumeron. All right, right on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yourself? Well, yeah, I'll, so, and with the Illumeron, I'll go from 320, 400, 600, and then go to the stones. Okay. So I, I zero grind everything. So off the, basically off the hands, like off from hand sanding, it can cut paper. Oh, um, wow. Okay. And yeah, so there's almost nothing there. Yeah. And then I go to a 600 grit CBN wheel on a, uh, you know, it's a Tormek uh, kind of knockoff, you know, okay. so slow speed sharpener, which I replace the water stone with a two by is it eight inch. Yeah. Two by eight inch CBN stone. Um, okay. 600 grit. And then I just use a leather strop with some, uh, some honing compound on it. Hmm. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a nice toothy edge, right? Which a lot of people like. Yeah, uh, you can yeah. definitely take it higher. A lot of people will want it higher just for bragging rights. Yeah, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but for honestly, for most people, like a six hundred grit, the six hundred grit CBN wheel or a thousand grit whetstone, just perfect. Cuts for yeah. a kitchen knife. Yeah, just just perfect. Well, just this perfect. sushi maker would not be impressed, Jesse. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't feel too bad. Those guys are really particular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the kitchen knife crowd. You wouldn't you wouldn't think it. You know, you think of the EDC crowd as the ones that are really picky. But uh, you know, go, go go check out Chef's Knives on Reddit, and you'll, uh, yeah, there's a lot of really picky people over there. You bet. You bet. <laughs> half the half the reason I'm having a hard time with getting into knife making is my friend that's a chef asked me if I would make him a knife once I start making knives, and it's like, so I'm not gonna start making knives now. <laughs> Why not? Uh, you could... No, I, no, I just I. I probably will eventually get into the knife game but yeah. i just feel like i kind of want to learn a lot more about just the ins and outs of mm-hmm. knives and stuff like that before i kind of dive into it i don't know i like so many people are like just do it and it's like i don't really want to waste my time making something that i don't even know what i'm doing type thing or i know nothing about no, that's i already kind of have a little bit like i've made a couple railroad spike knives and i've got that big chopper thing that i made that's kind of like mike jones uh bush fucker right mm. and then i've also no, got uh that, like whatever what, what, what was i calling it the it kitchen like knife bowie. kitchen yeah. knife bowie what would what, what yeah. we call it though we called it something i don't recall <laughs> uh, no that, 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 that's really fair i before we hopped on this call i was uh there's a customer of mine. He just followed me on Reddit, and I was going through his comment history on Reddit. And he's really active in the knife community. He has way too many knives, um, you know. And one of the someone had posted a knife, and it was too thick behind the edge, and they were talking about thinning it down. And his comment was, you know, a lot of makers, especially new makers to knives, don't realize just how thin how, yeah. you want to behind the edge, um, especially with kitling, kitchen cutlery, right? You know, if it's a yeah. bushcraft knife, you want it thick behind the edge to keep that 
you know, so it's durable, right? You know, you're not mm-hmm, stranded right. with a broken blade. But with a kitchen knife, that's not important. And so, like, like you were saying, Lenny, you really want to understand how a knife cuts and what makes it cut, and what you need to do to the steel to make it perform well. You know, and me included, it was actually from some feedback from customers that I was realized that that kind of bump in my S grind was too thick. Too thick. You know, and it was and it was causing wedging on harder vegetables. Um, nothing that they couldn't thin down, but you know, if you're buying a knife of this caliber, it mm-hmm. should perform well out of the box, right? And so, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of knowledge that you need to know about chef's knives and and how they're used, you know, to go that can sure. go into the grind, right? Yeah, yeah. but so. you don't necessarily learn that until you get. 15, 20, 30 knives out in the market and then you oh, get, that sure. feedback, right? get that feedback, right? Get that feedback, 100%. Like, yeah, like you've given the, your knife to the chef, like that's perfect, right? How else are you going to get that My feedback? My wife is not impressed. <laughs> She's like, you're not bringing that to the restaurant. Like, yes, I am. And my daughter's like, I don't know if I want to come anymore. I'm like, what the heck? Like, oh, I'm just going to show him my knife. Hey, but at <laughs> least you gave us some feedback, right? Like that's, like, that's yeah. so valuable, you know, from someone who does this all day, every day. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and it's 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 funny because a lot of my customers per se, they're not chefs, they're passionate home cooks, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I found that they actually care a lot more about those things than a lot of people who do it in and out, you know, every day. You know, they're quite happy with their, uh, you know, their $35, what's that brand? It's kind of ubiquitous with the plastic handles, uh, the Swiss one. The it doesn't he- matter. Heschel and something no sure yeah you know they're 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 quite happy with with those but because they're beaters right they sharpen them twice a day and they get whittled down to nothing and uh they're just they're real true user knives and they perform well enough for what they do yeah they're 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 a tool at the end of the day right yeah so it's interesting but it's not the same when you have your own custom knife and it's like a pleasure to use oh for sure such a big difference for sure and a lot of chefs do appreciate that, right? The real professional chefs, executive chefs, oh, hell yeah. they appreciate that 100%. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. Oh, but I can give you another example of like where like where this fear of knife making stems from and mm. it might give you an idea of why. Like, So I really want to get into stainless steel sculpture, but mm. stainless steel is like – it's kind of a finicky thing with how it reacts to the elements. Mm-hmm. And for me, the last thing I want to do is make what I claim to be a stainless steel sculpture, mm-hmm. put it out there and a couple of years down the road, have it rusting all over because mm-hmm. I didn't understand what it takes to make that not happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing goes with the knife. The last thing I want to be doing is making knives, putting like, like the one that you're dealing with right now that you're talking about was the $700 knife or whatever that the handles and the, the customer didn't even respond to the guy about right. it. I don't want to be that guy. That's mm-hmm. the last thing I want to do mm-hmm. is have somebody come back to me and be like, this is what happened. You can be being yeah. like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I shouldn't have been selling you a $700 knife obviously right yeah well you know I I have a box there's probably 50 knives in it that are you know it's my box of shame and there's a you know various toolboxes and cardboard boxes in the shop that have pieces of knives that Mm -hmm. never got finished because they are those knives that you're talking about right those learning knives that 
shouldn't see the light of day, but they're very valuable to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Because you know, they taught me a lot about knife making and so you, the process. So you can call that box your box of learning. Sure, box of yeah. learning. You want to be more positive <laughs> I'm, about it. I'm quoting Brad Millman on that one there. Are you? Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I called my wall of shame because I screw mine to the wall. Sure. You put yours in a box, yeah. Box of learning. So no, I, I think you shouldn't be afraid of knife making for that reason, Lando. You know, it's uh, it's I, I, I'm I, I promise your first blacksmithing attempt wasn't fantastic right. either. You know, oh, yeah, I've got my first um, hammer that I ever made, and I look at it in horror. Yeah, yeah, and as you should, you know, that's uh, you know, actually, like when I first started in university, when I was making those knives, like a friend of mine I worked with um, at Future Shop, if you remember that. Yeah, um, I worked there. Did you? Right on. Yeah, I did too. I was there right till the last day when they when they fired us all. Um, oh, shit. oh shit! I worked at Visions for a while, but keep oh. going. Keep going. No, we didn't like you then. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyways, I worked I worked with him at Future Shop. He was a sales guy, um, but he was a chef, and he he was my first knife sale, and I sold him one of my knives that I made, and and I was like, it's not a good knife. It's a learning. But he's like, no, no, I really want to buy it. He bought it for three hundred dollars, right? And I was like, that's a lot of money. But, you know, yeah. he was happy to support me and what I was doing. And it was, I was Beauty. really thankful for it. And um, so, like, last summer, I was like, no, I have feel like I have got to a point where I want to make Ronnie another knife. So I made him another knife and sent it out as a replacement for for that one. Because, like, I, you, you know that one didn't stand up as it should have. Yeah. And you, and you know it wasn't of the quality that it should have been. So that's I was like, nope, I can't do that for you, everyone, man. obviously. But I was like, nope, yeah. Ronnie bought my first one and he's going to get a new knife. So, like, that's, that's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and, uh, good on you, yeah. dude. It was, it was, it was, it was nice. It was kind of like I, you know, I feel complete in my craft now that I'm, I'm, I've, I'm using quotes here, made it, <laughs> you know, I, you know, and, and this is, this is something I want to do. Um, That's how I feel about Justin. You complete me. We made it. <laughs> oh, wow. A <laughs> <laughs> <I>, not. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a great place to end it here, boys. Jesse telling this nice little story about sending out a, a replacement knife. Yeah. Look look at that. Great great Canadian fellow. No kidding, eh? Good for yep. you, buddy. Well right on. on that note, throw in the sheepskin and I'll call it a good day. Good day. Was it that bad? <laughs> it's different every time, man. The family's gone to bed. I'm trying to be a little quiet. Everyone's tired in the uh, Novak household. I guess so, eh? Yeah, everybody keeps hitting their heads. I was pretty, uh, <clears throat> I was pretty ignorant when I was 18. Didn't know well, much about much. You're from bumfuck nowhere, Flynn where there's yeah. yeah, like. It's a small community, and mm-hmm. you come down to Winnipeg. It's, all, it's on the border of Saskatchewan, dude. Like, there's a reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I blame that Saskatchewan side of things. Is the water that came from that side of the... <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Okay. I don't think there's safe water to drink in Flin Flon. Unless you go, like, ways out of ways. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty polluted in that in a the town there, dude. I don't Mining. know if you 
if he, I wonder if he looked at a Google overhead of Flin Flon, if you like Google mapped it and looked at the satellite view, if you could tell, but Flin Flon itself is pretty much like bare rock in this oh, big yeah. radius because it used to be a major smelter there. And the smoke used to like the, at one point the smelter stack was only like what was it four hundred feet tall or something, mm-hmm. and when it was that tall, the smelt smelter smoke used to line like right in town all the time on a regular basis. <clears throat> then they made it about eight hundred feet tall or something like that, eight hundred fifty feet tall or something like that, and occasionally wow. it would still fall in town, like on like days where there was like no, no wind, wind or something like that. Then it would still fall in town, and it would there was always ratings on the on the radio as to like what level of pollution it was and whether or not you should yeah if you should be outside for extended periods of times and stuff like that but yeah that 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 pollution around flin flon just decimated all the vegetation dude it's crazy crazy yeah it's pretty cool though with all the bare rock it makes it a very very cool looking town to visit Hmm. and then if you go just outside of flin flon it's absolutely gorgeous pristine Canadian Shield wilderness, Canadian Shield wilderness, and yeah. awesome fishing. <laughs> yeah. So nice. That's what do you story. do outside of knife making, Jesse? I don't do anything outside of knife making. Honestly, I work twenty four by seven. It's yeah. uh, you know, I, I wish I could say otherwise, but it's uh, you know, this this little business is kind of everything. It takes everything I have. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you don't sure D and D with sure. your uh, was no, your girlfriend or your wife? My girlfriend. Yeah, girlfriend. no, I I I tried to, I, I went a couple of times and it's just not my thing. I oh, can okay. visualize uh, products. I can't visualize realities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, no, it's, it's good. She has her own. She has her own thing that she does on uh, on Wednesdays, and I get to do my own thing on Wednesday or work nice. late or you know not get shamed for it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you do uh, do you do all your own booking bookkeeping as well and stuff? Or? Oh yeah, I do everything soups to soup to nuts, so to speak. Yeah, okay. I uh, I just I I finally got QuickBooks. You know, I mm. <laughs> I was doing it all in an enough. Excel sheet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Enough. I looked at my my books for the end of this year. I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> you know, you got to calculate GST and depreciation and all these things, and it's. It's too much to do by hand, so I finally did it right and got and got the QuickBook. Yeah, yeah. Can you, can you explain depreciation for me, real quick? For nope, a guy? not at all. No, no okay. not at all. Um, <laughs> no, I know when you when you buy a piece of equipment that's you know a certain dollar amount. I don't know what that dollar amount is. You're allowed to write off a portion of its depreciation every year until you get to zero, more or less. And okay. but that's that's more the more the accountant's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he looks at that and, and, and he knows what's reasonable for an X piece of equipment. I did that more or less, Justin, you look like you're not. Yeah. Going. Well, I've got an uncle that depreciated a Bobcat and he <laughs> over depreciated it. And then when he sold it, he got slammed. So you need to be careful on how much you depreciate because it's always going to have some form of value. Uh, and then they'll come back at you and say but you depreciated it down to zero and here you sold it for uh i don't know how many thousands of dollars so you gotta pay taxes on that now and right unless it's actually depreciated like it's destroyed 
then it's appreciated to zero possibly but yeah i mean i guess like if you say oh well i have a you know a 1975 corolla you know if that was a business car and you've had it for this long yeah i think it could be depreciated at zero but i think in at the end of the day everything has some (laughs) everything has some value yeah you know it's funny it's one of these things that you just you just never you don't know you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and when you get into business for for self or when you take a hobby and turn it into a business, there's so many things that you don't know and you don't know what you you know what you can write off. What is a business expense? What isn't a yeah. business expense? Um, oh man. That's something that I need to learn. It's uh, where do you find the resources? I, I don't know. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, you got to talk to the accountant. I mean, that's what I did. That's when I hired an accountant. I sat down with him for two hours to tell me what, what Mm -hmm. is a business, you know, what can I, what can I write off? What can I not write off? Obviously I want to pay all my taxes, but I don't want to pay more than I have to, (laughs) you know, and I don't, but I don't want the CRA barking down my neck either. Um, So yeah, it's all, it's all Canadian as the CRA is the Canadian revenue agency for those that don't know. Yes. Our non-Canadian listeners. It's our IRS. Yeah. 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 And they're just as scary. Well, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I've heard that the IRS can be pretty nasty. I haven't heard quite the same as the CRA, but. I I think if you owe the CRA money, they can be quite as nasty. Oh, yeah. I have a a few, you know, mentors that I talk to about business and stuff. And yeah, if you don't do things right, they can be pretty nasty. They knocked on the door of this house, but that was the previous owners. They had done a bunch of business stuff and they knocked on the door. We're here to collect the taxes and like, whoa, what? Hang on. (laughs) They must have been in big trouble. Yeah. Go change my pants. Yeah. You know, and it's it's one of those things where I like, ah, is the CRA really going to pay a $70 an hour auditor to come look at my books? Eh, Probably not. They don't (laughs) give a shit about my, my, you know, my little, my little income, but, uh, you know, in the next seven years, that income could become a lot bigger, right? Yeah. And now they're going to be looking at all seven of those years. And yeah, right. after seven years of penalties and interest and all of that, what seemed like a s- small amount of money to, you know, because you didn't do something right can turn into a big amount of money. Yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. And they're knocking on your door, like you say. Yeah. So try to stay legit or be try legit. To stay legit, fly right. Yeah. yeah. I know a yeah, lot of guys. For sure. I know a lot of guys that don't, you know, we have this conversation and it's like, you're kind of playing with fire here, you know? It's, yeah, um, it's tough because when, yeah, where's that line, right? Where you, you know, decide- and to be clear, I, I didn't declare that my, you know, my, I've been making, let's call it six years. I've been making knives. I didn't declare the first four years, right? I mm-hmm. couldn't make any money really. I mean, I made money, but it wasn't, yeah, I, I wasn't going to worry about it. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think as soon as you quit your day job and start doing it full time, well, then, you know, then that raises suspicion. If this is your only source of income and you're mm-hmm. not filing any taxes, well. It's peculiar. Yeah. It's peculiar. Yep. 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 I need an accountant. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't go to H&R Block. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jesse, thank you so mm-hmm. much for being on the Forge Side chat. Look thank you so much for having me. Just following good, you good on chat. Instagram yeah. and 
for trying sure. to steal your ideas because damn, you got a cool shit going on there. <laughs> <laughs> got to try my first S grind at some point. So give it a give it a shot. Get a big yeah. uh, you know radius platen arrow. Yeah, yeah. Try it out. Associate with anymore? The, uh, not for very long. That's for sure. It didn't didn't last. As soon as that day happened, it was like okay. Minus, you know, the, the fact that he tried to kill me too, right? But again, if you want to know that part of the story, you're going to have to know me in person. So, or ask me in person. That's for, or for the patrons. For the patrons. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks again, Jesse. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Have a good night.